Friday, January the 5th, 2024. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. We have NFL Week 18 game previews coming up for you with Eric. So final week of the regular season before we jump into the NFL playoffs. Following that, we'll move to the horse racing portion where we go Friday, best bets at Santa Anita. Then we move to Saturday, Barry Spears joins me. We each have two best bets on the card. And then we both talk about races 9, 10, and 11, which are three stakes on the card. So you'll get a good look at uh, all different races throughout the the card. I think we talk races 1, 2, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, uh, or 9, 10, and 11 on a really busy, fun Saturday card at Gulfstream Park. Make sure to tune in there as we head to Santa Anita for Saturday. I'll take a look at races 4 through 9 on the Santa Anita Saturday card. And then we finish up with Chad Cooper and this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper talking about everything going on in the world of WWE. The Rock is back. He showed up on Monday Night Raw. We talk about NXT. We uh, dive a little bit into what's ahead on SmackDown and we look at what just went down on AEW Dynamite and on their pay-per-view last weekend. On this episode of That's What G Said that is presented by full-service realtor Cindy Carava. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. And as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can help connect you to the right type of lenders if you need help with the loan process. Maybe you're looking for help with home improvement. She can connect you with the right type of vendors who she has experience with and she's worked with in her own homes. C-I-N-D-Y. CindyCarava.com. That's the website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Let's move into NFL Week 18 with Eric. We get into all of the Week 18 games on Saturday and on Sunday. Who's in the playoffs? Who needs to win? All the different possibilities. Let's get you all set up for Week 18. Well, we've made it to NFL Week 18 will tell you all the different uh, possibilities, the clinching, who's in, who could make it in. Eric joins me right now. And Eric, it is a fun week when uh, we have some of these games that are completely meaningless. Some teams that have locked in spots and have nothing to play for. Other teams whose seasons have been done long ago. And then you have a couple of these games that are de facto play in games. So a fun week. I think it looks like four of the AFC teams are locked in so far. Two divisions in the AFC still up for grabs. The South, where we can see any of three teams win the AFC South right now. The, the Jags, the Colts, and the Texans are all still alive. And the AFC East with the Dolphins and the Bills. They'll play a winner wins the division game on Sunday night. In the NFC, we have five spots that are locked in. We have the NFC East and the NFC South still up for grabs. It could be between Dallas and Philly, who's been struggling, and then in the NFC South, a couple different things that could happen. Easiest way, if Tampa wins, they're in. They, they've got the division. And six teams this week have that scenario. Win, and you're in. Tampa, Packers, Jags, Colts, Texans, Bills. Now, the Colts and the Texans are playing each other, so they both can't win, and you're in. But any of them win, they're in. So... Lots of fun this week, Eric. Um, been a successful year, I think, for you overall. A lot of stuff that we talked about preseason, thinking about how it's played out over the length of the season, um, gone well so far. And now it's almost like that 
another season starts up with, with this last week and then the playoffs next week because we got a lot of sample size through the season, but now it'll come up to come down to a lot of matchups, how particular teams match up with each other. You play the games a little bit differently because in the playoffs, there aren't really trappy spots, right? Things like that we'll look for. So uh, now we have to maybe alter a little bit the way you play these games heading into the playoffs. But like always, looking for the best value, looking for the best numbers you can find in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, definitely. It's a different mindset gambling in the NFL playoffs versus regular versus regular season. Um, but, you know, we got this week 18 we got to worry about before we can worry about the playoffs. So, you know, some exciting matchups, um, some interesting player prop opportunities with some contract incentives and everything, too. So let's get started. No Thursday football games this week. Two games on Saturday, the rest on Sunday. Remember, if you're in the state of Iowa, you can sign up for a DRF Sportsbook account. We're looking at the betting lines for DRF Sportsbook. Use the promo code FAST350. You can see it scrolling across the bottom of our screen. If you're in Iowa, if you know anyone in Iowa, let them know about DRF Sportsbook. And if they sign up, they can get a promo uh, bonus right off the bat up to a $300 deposit match bonus. First game here, important for Pittsburgh. Not as much for Baltimore because the Ravens come off a 56-point game where they scored four touchdowns on their first five possessions. They just absolutely crushed the Dolphins. Lamar locked up the MVP. He had a perfect passer rating in the game, completing 18 of 21 for 321 yards and five touchdowns. Two of his misses were on dropped passes. They rushed for 160 yards, seven different receivers, had a catch. They've now division uh, defeated division leaders, San Fran, by 14, Jacksonville by 16, Detroit by 32, and Miami by 37. And the two games against Miami and San Francisco, they won by a combined 50 points. And Lamar had a 73% completion percentage with seven touchdowns and no interceptions. But like we said, for Baltimore now, even more so than this particular game where you know they're a four-point underdog at home because they're going to be sitting their starters. And these starters now will have about 20 days off, 21 days off in between games. This team is good though, man. This was a third best team in DVOA history. So they're still, they're, they're a good team and uh, we'll see what they do in the playoffs. Cause Lamar's only been one in three. Do you have a play in this game as Pittsburgh is a four point favorite on the road? They come off a really good game where they, you know, have looked so much better now with Rudolph Tomlin kept his, um, un, his no season under 500 streak, 17 straight now, uh, and they're running the ball a little bit better. Pickens seems unlocked with Rudolph, but do you want to lay a number like this on the road in a weird divisional game where the Ravens have nothing to play for? So I love week 18 because I like to fade these teams that have like quote unquote nothing are playing for their playoff lives. I like to fade them in this situation here. Um, so with that being said, I did take the Ravens at plus four. Just kind of looking in this matchup, when Harbaugh and Tomlin play against each other, the dog is 23-5-2. That is 82.1% ATS. So it doesn't matter which one is the dog, either Tomlin or Harbaugh. That person is um, <clears throat> is covering Harbaugh against Tomlin as a dog is 11 Three and one at 79%. Tomlin favorite, 35%. Tomlin two game winning streak, 26.2% ATS. Look, I know the Ravens aren't going to be playing for much, but this is this team is starting to remind me of that team when Lamar won when they were the top seed, Lamar second year starting, 
they sat everyone the final week of the playoffs. They had that bye, then they lost to the Titans. They were a 14 and two, I think, it, that year. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if some of the guys played a little bit more. I know Lamar's not going to play, but like some of those other guys get a little bit more run because that's in the back of Harbaugh's mind. Um, Steelers, some issues in the back four. Who's Mason Rudolph to be laying this number and win with margin? I've been on him the last couple of weeks where he's been a dog. And I loved it, but I can't trust them to win by basically a touchdown because let's the game's either going to end on three, six, or seven. You know what I mean? So I can't trust him to win by six. Steelers, um, 15th DVOA total offense, and they're starting their third string quarterback. There's some internal issues with Kenny Pickens refusing to dress to be the backup. I don't know. I just kind of like the Ravens in this matchup just because of the trends and everything. Also, looking at OBJ, he's got a couple contract incentives. Um, two touchdowns, he gets 500K. 185 yards, he gets 75K. Five receptions, he gets 500K. I think the five receptions would be one one to kind of look to, to target because I think they'll try to get him that just because that is doable. But I'll take the Ravens and OBJ over receptions. Pittsburgh, let's see if they can get in. A couple things will need to go their way. Uh, as they don't have that win in your in scenario, but unless there's a tie, as long as they win, they will likely be able to get their way in because uh, two of those teams are playing each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, like if they lose, they're basically out, though. You know? Oh what yeah. I mean? if, they, if there's a yeah. bunch of weird things that could happen, like ten different ways, but yeah, they got to win, and then um, they should be good to go because this next game is very important on Saturday night, the Texans and the Colts. Both these teams actually still have a shot to win the division because the winner of this game. We'll put a little pressure on Jacksonville. And if Jacksonville loses, then this winner will become the division winner. Colts, they're at home and they are a slight underdog in this game. It's basically a pick them here. Colts come off a week where they had a balanced running attack, 6.6 yards per play, 215 yards passing, 134 yards rushing. They leaned on Tandler, who had 22 touches for 104 yards. Minshew played a clean game, completed 15 of 23. Uh, 224 yards, a touchdown, only took one sack, no turnovers. Most of the game, they were up by 10, and it was because of a good performance from the offensive line. They limited pressure to 24% on dropbacks, so Minshew was under pressure the least all year, and he was very good in the limited times when he was uh, under pressure. They did have to kick field goals on their final three possessions, so they need to be a little more efficient putting it into the end zone, but... um, you know, they were able to keep their season alive with winning that game. And Pittman became the first Colts ride receiver to have 100 receptions in a season since Wayne back in 2012. Downs tied the Colts rookie record with 65 catches. What concerns me about this particular matchup, Eric, just from a on-field matchup, their secondary is a little banged up. And last week, they allowed O'Connell from the Raiders to have his best passing game of the year. And if Stroud is on, he's a much more prolific passer. So that could be an air real area of weakness in this particular matchup for this. Te- I mean, both of these two teams, they got to feel really, really happy about their season so far and where they are right now. I don't think either one of these two teams thought they would be in the situation where they have a chance to win and make the playoffs and have a chance to win the division in week 18. The Texans have the number two run defensive DVOA. Like, they're just really good at stopping the run. They have an identity because they they will force you to throw the ball against them. And when Stroud's in the game and they have some playmakers, this guy has been better than anybody expected this early. 
They moved the ball better last week. They did still struggle on third down, though. They went three of 11. They have to clean that up moving forward. Uh, But uh, like metrics in their game were a little off because they kick a field goal on their opening drive. Then they go 94 yards for a touchdown. Then they recover a fumble for a touchdown and they kick a field goal. They're up 20 to nothing. So then they just kind of coasted throughout uh, the rest of the game. But rookie Anderson was really good. A couple more sacks for them. And they held Tennessee to just one of 12 on third down. Big Saturday night game, Eric. What are we going to do here? How do we play this one? Um, I took, <clears throat> I excuse me, I took the um, I took the Texans here. I actually got this off of openers when it was at one and a half. Not really sure at this situation right here with this current line. I would just kindly play the plus 118. Stroud five and two this year as a dog. Third game of the season. Stroud threw for 384 yards, 64 percent completion percentage, and two touchdowns against the Colts, who had everyone healthy. You mentioned that this Colts defense in the secondary is insanely banged up. I think Stroud is in line to have another good game. I just don't trust this Colts defense. You hit the nail on the head. O'Connell, 30 for 47, 299, two touchdowns. Week before, Tyler Heineke, 23 for 33, 229, one touchdown. Stroud can obviously spin the ball better than them. He's going to be able to eat this defensive lie. And you mentioned my boy, Will Anderson. He's back. He's healthy. This Colts offensive line isn't what it's been in years past. I think Anderson's going to be able to get to Minshew, cause a little bit of a havoc. And if... They can't run the ball. They're constantly going to be behind the sticks. I don't trust Minshew to make enough throws. I like the Texans. I got them at plus one and a half at this current line at DRF. I would just play the minus 118. Yeah, I mean, I know they're on the road here, but this comes to a spot where you we were higher on the, the Texans more throughout the year. I like this team overall a little bit better uh, just from a talent standpoint. I think both of these staffs have done a fantastic job this year, but I'm with you. I didn't get anything at this close to pick them number. We're on the Texan side here. Um, let's get to the Falcons and the Saints. Both these teams still have an outside shot of making it in. If the Tampa Bay Bucks lose to the Panthers, then it'll open things up for either the Falcons or the Saints. Now, it was really the first time in a while that the Falcons got beat up last week, Eric. And that's kind of concerning because they had a lot of losses this year, but they were close losses. They were a bunch of losses that should have been wins for them they did get beat up though they could not stop the bears they allowed three touchdown drives of 60 plus yards in the first four possessions and the offense was not great they missed field goal attempts two different times they had three and outs and an interception all in the first half they had a one play 75 yard touchdown catch and run and other than that they had nothing heineke had three interceptions he was graded dead last last week of all quarterbacks that took snaps he was number 33 on the week but earlier this year, they did beat the Saints and they held them without a touchdown. They put up 396 yards in that game. Now, the Saints, they've started to figure things out a little more recently. They got up early in their last game, 20 to nothing. They did benefit from four turnovers from Tampa. Their passing game has been much better over the last few weeks. Since week 14, they're 10th in dropback EPA per play. They rank 9th in dropback success rate. So they're a top third passing offense and Carr has completed more than 5% of his third down passes over his last four games, which is the second highest in the NFL during that stretch completion percentage over expectation on third down. And that was a stat where he was terrible. He was 25th weeks one through 13. They did get a new weapon. Uh, 
involved a little bit more. Johnson, tight end, he had a good game, eight receptions for 90 yards last week. So we see the Falcons as a three and a half point dog in here at New Orleans over under in this game, 42. How do you see this one playing out? I played the Falcons. I got them at three. Unfortunately, at the books, I I have the privilege of playing at the three and a half. Never got there, so I just locked in the three. Allen is the least is the eighth least profitable head coach since 2005 as a favorite. Only 30.4 percent ATS road divisional dogs in the NFC South since 2005. 57 percent against the spread. Carr is a favorite. 35 percent ATS. Um, I really want to just fade the Saints after their win against the Bucs and back the Falcons. We talk about it every single week, buying low, selling high. That was a pitiful performance by the Falcons. Saints defense struggles defending the run. I mean, there has to be a point with Arthur Smith where he just says, look, I need to stop being an idiot and just give Bijan Robinson the ball and just run. The Saints defense is not what it used to be against the run. They're bottom 12 defending. Oh, sorry, they are 25th per DVOA defending the run. So that means they're bottom five per DVOA defending the run. I think the Falcons are going to be able to run the ball. And um, Falcons are eighth, believe it or not, defending the run this year. I think they're going to be able to limit Carmara. I love fading Carr and fading Allen when they're favorites. I think this is the game where the Falcons kind of put it together. And I'm looking forward to Arthur Smith getting fired. Yeah, man, it's been a really disappointing year for Smith. He's got to be out. Um, it's and that game was kind of weird. Like Koo, who's automatic, he missed two field goals. A couple that you know behind the sticks and everything like that. So that game got a little funky for him. And I mean, you kind of got to fade the Saints after how impressive they looked against the um, Bucks last week. So yeah, I'll I'll take the Falcons here plus the three. Browns at the Bengals, two teams with nothing to play for. But we got to give yeah, a little love. To Joe Flacco, right? Joe Flacco has been amazing. Joe Flacco was terrible the last couple of times we saw him. And they brought this guy off the couch as their fourth quarterback this year. He had 296 passing yards in the first half against the Jets. Um, in his five games, he has a 60% completion percentage, 13 touchdowns, eight interception. Watson played 12 games, lower completion percentage, 14 interceptions, nine touchdowns. So he has... Uh, one more, or he had way worse statistics throughout than like Flacco matched Watson for how much less of the money. I think he's making $800,000, uh, and have to give him some love, but what do we do here? I mean, Bengals are out of contention and the Browns have nothing to play for. These are always the games I tell everyone to tread lightly on. Um, and I would just kind of look at where teams struggle defensively. The Bengals really struggle defensively. They're one of the worst in the NFL defending the tight end. Maybe looked at some tight end props. I doubt Nijoku plays. Maybe their rookie tight, their second year tight end, whose name, of course, I'm spacing on right now. Maybe look for some tight end props. But in games like this, like the Browns are going through the motions. How much are the Bengals really motivated? And you trust them to cover this big number. Um, now this is an ugly one, man. You know, and I'm looking at it right now. There's no real incentive wise for contracts this year. So this is probably just a stay away from me. We got the Jags at the Titans here. This one's a little tricky for me because this feels like a spot where Vrabel can get these guys up as a home dog. Tennessee is a five and a half point home underdog here. As we look at the lines at DR of Sportsbook. So Jacksonville, a five and a half point favorite on the, uh, on the road. They come off an easy win with Beathard. They held the Panthers to only 124 total yards and just 2.3 yards per play. That was the lowest 
in a game for the Panthers since 2010. Bryce Young uh, got sacked by Jacksonville six times. They only allowed seven first downs in that game. Shout out to Ingram. He was only the eighth tight end in history to have more than 100 receptions in a single season. And Etienne had a nice game, 100 yards on 16 carries, two touchdowns. Levis got hurt for the Titans. Tannehill came in at halftime. They'd only gained 79 yards. They were down 20 to three. They only had 187 total yards. And even in the second half, when they were down big in garbage time, they they still couldn't score or do anything. That's what concerns me. Is like they watching them, they feel like a team going through the motions. But Vrabel as a coach, this feels like a spot that he can get guys up. I'm not laying it with Jacksonville, but I would be on the Tennessee side. If anything, Eric, is this one of those games where you take a a swing with Tennessee at home? Yeah. I'm going to take a swing here at Tennessee. If this plus, if this money line gets up to plus 200, that's going to be my buy-in point. I got the Titans here plus the five and a half. One last time this season, Vrabel is a dog, 58% home dog, 60%. Three and a half, three or higher, 63.2%. ATS, Peterson laying three or more on the road, 37 and a half. Look, this Jags offensive line has been an issue all year. They are going to have a hard time protecting Lawrence, who's really banged up. He's not 100%. The Jags have given up the 12th most sacks in the NFL. I know there's no Simmons, but I do think the Titans defensive line is going to be able to get in the backfield and create havoc against Mayfield um Jags have been good against the run this season but when you look at Derrick Henry the last three games he's averaging 89 yards per game 3.5 yards per carry against the Jags I think the Titans will be able to move the ball on the ground and this is going to open up the play action pass which Jacksonville also struggles against and also we need to remember this could be the Titans last go around with their core of Tannehill there's rumors he's going to be moving on rumors Henry's going to be moving on Rumors Vrabel's not getting along with a new general manager that he could seek a buyout. This could be that core's last go around. So I think they're going to be up for it. I expect a max effort. You know, we talk about buying low, selling high. I talked about this rule a couple of weeks ago, the rule of 17. Teams that lost by 17 points or more playing a team that won by 17 points or more. The team that lost is 68% ATS. So I'll definitely look. I'll definitely be on the Titans plus the five and a half. And if the money line gets up to plus 200 important to note, Deandre Hopkins, um, 39 yards for a $1 million bonus, seven receptions for a 500 K bonus and two receptions for an 800 K bonus. Now these um, are the ones I like for because they don't have anything at all that they're playing for. Yep. Right? So I mean, so they, I'll probably they play, pepper I'll their play guys. The one here. And I don't know if I'll play the two touchdowns, but, um, I mean, I'll probably play as over yards. Because some of the guys that have big games coming forward, right? Teams that have playoffs locked in, you always wonder with them, like, are they even going to be that much part of a game plan if they can't move up or down that much? Even if it is for that money, you still probably don't want to risk getting them hurt. Games like I mean, this, you know? And a perfect, perfect thing is like Dalton Schultz. He needs six receptions for a 20, 200, 250K bonus, but he's not, but, you know what I mean? They're not going to yeah. go out of their way to get that. No, but but he could get that just in the swing of the offense, yeah. right? Because that like that's something that where you could see them, them not necessarily using that, but like he's already going to be in the swing of the offense, and maybe that's a thing where hey, if it's close, if it like just I, I don't mind using that as like a slight bump for some of these teams. This is the situation when I look at a team like Tennessee in a home spot like this. Could they just 
throw a few more to Hopkins to hit that? Absolutely. In this spot, because why not? Right. You're not risking injury for a guy who has nothing else to play for next week. So um, Jags trying to win an in. They do. They've got the division locked down. We go to the Vikings at the Lions. So your Lions now as a three and a half point favorite at home in here, you have some slight seeding positioning that you could move up and down, right? I guess with, no, with losses. They're you, so, so you're locked, locked in. So they're locked into the three. They really can't move after the shenanigans that happened last Saturday last week, night. Which um, we could have a whole podcast on that. Lions got screwed. It was a bad call after the third time. Dan Campbell should have just kicked it at that point and gone to overtime and tried. I, I I think, but it's, I've talked about that before. I talked about that on my show. I said like his emotions will cost him a game and they yep. kind of cost him that game. He got a little bit too fired up. And I think and, it was because the way it happened with the officials, right? Like, I don't and, know if, if in a, in a normal situation, if it was just like a penalty or something like that, I think he was double frustrated that that was the play that he went, he told him was going to happen all of that. So I think you're a hundred percent right. I can feel like that got the best of him. And people need to remember like before the game, like if you're an official, I'm the coach, we're going to meet. And if there's anything like I'm going to do, that's a trick play. I could do, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to say, look, this is what we're going to do. So, you know, giving the official the heads up that it is going to be coming. So my issue was that. And then my issue was the referees all have a mic on him that is recording everything. So if Decker didn't record and Skipper did, wouldn't the NFL just release that audio? I know. And the fact they didn't kind of sums up what's going on. The fact that Allen is working a standalone game kind of rubs me the wrong way. He should be buried. He should be buried in like Raiders Broncos. You know what I mean? But a standalone game, that doesn't sit right. But it is what it is. In terms of this game, look, we really don't know what the Lions are going to be doing. Sam Laporta needs 216 yards to set a receiving rookie record. Are they going to give it to him? I don't know. Um, Madison needs 74 yards rushing for a 250K bonus. Detroit's pretty good against the run, but if they're resting defensive line, I could see Madison going for that. I don't know who in the back can stop. Justin Jefferson. Um, so I'll probably look at some player props here. Justin Jefferson player props. Definitely I'll play Madison's rushing yard over because I'll probably try to get him that because the Vikings need a lot of help. Vikings are basically eliminated in my eyes. Yeah, so they so. they need a win and a Packers loss, a Seahawks loss, and a Tampa loss. Or a <laughs> Packers loss, Seattle loss, New Orleans loss. So uh they need yeah. a lot of help. So they, I mean, I think they try to get Madison paid, but other than that, I'll look to play Madison props. Other than that, I'm just probably going to be skipping this game. Let's get to the Jets at the Patriots here. This one's a funny one because these two teams have zero to play for, but they don't like each other. Uh, the Patriots, they ran the kick back on the opening drive to take an early lead against the Bills, and then things went wrong. They turn it over four times in the first half, three of them because of Zappy. It's going to be the first time in 18 years where they have a negative turnover differential this year. That was the longest streak since the 1970 merger. They missed another field goal, like their special teams, the turnover margin. There were some years where their offense wasn't great, even with Brady, where like they didn't have the most fantastic offense in the world, but they always were smart, didn't turn the ball over a lot, 
and they had good special teams and it's the total opposite this year. I mean, the jets got absolutely shredded their defense, especially in the middle of the field. And they could not move the ball at all, except for hall. Who's had over a hundred yards from scrimmage. The, last two weeks any thoughts on this game jets at the pats here as the pats are a slight favorite one and a half at home i kind of want to play the pats but i haven't pulled the trigger on it yet uh trevor Simeon against this patriots defense do you trust uh the guys will probably be pumped off for belichick's rumor is it's last game but the flip side Simeon against this jets passing defense not Simeon sappy against this jets passing defense is a little rough um, I would lean there, but look, I'm not going to pull the trigger on it. Yeah. This one's a tough one for me to have strong opinion one way or the other bucks head to Carolina as a four and a half point favorite there over under just 37 and a half Tampa. It's simple win and you're in, even after the loss last week, all they have to do is beat the Panthers, the worst team in the league, and they will host a playoff game this year. Uh, last week though, the bucks couldn't block through a lot of the game. Their receivers couldn't get open and they couldn't run the ball. Their first eight drives that were not kneel downs, four of them were three and outs. They had two interceptions and a fumble. They finally scored a point in the fourth quarter. And it was a little disappointing because after a few weeks of establishing more of a running game, they only had 57 yards rushing on 15 carries, 3.8 yards per carry. It's tough when you're down to try to stay consistent with the run. Baker was uncomfortable a lot of the day. He never really looked good in this game, and he had been much better in previous weeks. Yeah, man, than the Panthers. They had 124 total yards on 10 drives, 2.3 yards per play. They had seven first downs in the game. There was a stretch of three consecutive drives. They went negative eight yards, negative 13 yards, and then zero yards. So they had a stretch of nine plays on those three drives where they had negative 22 yards. And they had six drives in the game that ended with a punt, and all of those were three and outs. Three and out, punt, three. And then your owner's throwing drinks on fans, which is just Did you great. hear that story where he worked at a company, he got passed over for this promotion, so he started his own hedge fund company, and the guy that got passed over for the promotion, the guy who passed him for the promotion, ended up buying that guy's house, tearing it down, then building another, a bigger yeah. house on the plot of land. Like, yeah, he's just um, all ego, all ego. And he kind of reminds me of, I'm trying to think of like, probably when William Clay Ford was running the lines. You know what I mean? Like, it was just such a shit show. And he was just obviously there for the money. I know he's saying he wants to fill, like, have a competitive team, but you kind of look at it. If you're a coach, why are you going to want to go there? Like, honestly, when this guy has a history of firing coaches early, he's breathing over your neck. If I'm Eric Bieniemy, I'm Ben Johnson. If I have my choice between going to the Commanders, Chargers, maybe the Bears, maybe the Falcons, or the Panthers, Panthers are going to be at the bottom of the list. Plus, they have no draft equity because they made that draft for pick they made that draft day trade and got Bryce Young. So this is the least desirable coaching job in the NFL in my eyes. But with all that being said, I got them off openers at plus five and a half. I still like them at anything over four. You have the NFC dog trend that I mentioned a little bit earlier. Mayfield 13, 26 and one ATS is a favorite 33.3%. 
And when you just kind of look at the splits, this Panthers defense is actually good. It's actually really good at home. The only team that really light the, lit them up was the Dallas Cowboys. And I don't think the Panthers, Buccaneers offense will be able to do that. And like I said, I love fading teams that need to win. And that's what I'm doing this week. Any team that kind of quotes and quotes needs to win, I'm looking to fade them. So with that being said, I'm going to take the Panthers here. Again, if this is a money line gets to plus 200, I'm going to look to do that. People need to remember a couple of years ago, the Jaguars beat the Colts when the Colts needed to win to get in. I think there's going to be a couple surprises on Sunday, and I think the Panthers are one of them. Yeah, one of the games that I'm glad I locked in uh, earlier, Eric, was the Bears at the Packers. I played the Bears at plus four and a half. This number is all the way down to three now. Packers are a three-point favorite in this game. Love's been playing really well. He finished graded quarterback number two on the week last week. He had four touchdowns, four big-time throws. He threw for 256 yards and three touchdowns, ran for another it was his second highest passer rating on the year, third highest completion percentage of the year. And right now they're a little bit healthier. Jones has had a couple of nice games, 120 rushing yards in this game, two in a row now with 100 plus yards. He had 21 total touches. They had Bo Melton elevated from the practice squad, six catches, 105 yards receiving. And the defense, which has been miserable. Did a good job putting pressure on the quarterback. 50% of dropbacks, which was the third highest rate in any game this year. They had 13 different defenders generate at least one pressure, which was the most to do so for a team in any game this year. And they forced some turnovers that led directly to points. Overall, one of their better defensive performances. But the Bears have been playing really good football. They scored touchdowns of 60-plus yards on three of their first four drives to put them up 21-7. to They even missed a field goal at the end of the half with a chance to get up by more. They had a couple drops in the game. Fields was very good again. He was graded quarterback number nine on the week. The last seven games that he's completed, he started and finished. They're five and two. The two losses are to the Lions and the Browns. Uh, they started 0-4 this year. Since then, they've won seven of 12 overall, even with Bajan in a lot of those games. They have a 49-plus uh, point differential. Their offensive line has been good. It was the lowest pressure rate he's faced in a game this season. More quietly, he has 1,300 yards. That's the fifth most ever for a Bears receiver in a, in a single season. And they are seventh in the league in weighted DVOA. They're fifth in defensive DVOA this year. And since week nine, they're fourth in defensive DVOA. This team's just been playing good now for a while. They've figured things out. It's really frustrating to watch, Eric, because it seems like the same exact thing happened last year. And then early on in this year, they went away from some of the things that got them successful and in a groove at the end of last year. You were watching it like, what the hell are they doing? And once they started to make things easier for Fields again, they've been a really good team. Uh, I, I played them at four and a half. At three or over, I'd still be okay for that with them. And I, I'd want to obviously look for the best number you could find. Yeah, I miss it, that number. I got him at three. Um, excuse me. My thing with Jordan Love is when you watch him play, everything's off the back foot. Everything sails. And I really don't like quarterbacks that don't step into their throws. That can lead to some turnovers. Um, he did play one good game. He's had a couple good games. Games against the Vikings are pretty good. Games against the Chiefs are pretty good. But if you rewatch the game film, like I said, everything's off the back foot. Everything is floating. And when you play a game – where there could be some weather issues because there's a wet storm front moving through the Midwest. That's not who I like to, 
to back. I like to fade there. You know, we have the divisional dog aspect I absolutely love. Packers do struggle against mobile quarterbacks. I think Fields is going to have his way. Also, they do struggle defending the run. I think we're going to see a heavy Bears rushing attack led by Roscoe Johnson and Khalil Herbert. Bears do are elite against the run. I think they're going to be able to limit Dylan and Jones and then make Love make some throws. I just don't like what I'm seeing from Jordan Love. I know he's getting a lot of credit for beating the Vikings, but I really feel the Vikings had a different quarterback. That game would have been a little different last week. Um, So I'm going to take the Bears here plus the three. We get to the Cowboys at the Commanders. So Dallas is a 13-point favorite in this game. They win. They clinch the division. They'll get a home game here as Washington – they're one of these teams I really don't know what to expect from, though. This is a massive number for them being a 13-point home dog, especially when they come off of a pretty good effort. Howell tried really hard in the first half. He completed 9 of 13 against San Francisco. He had 100 yards and a touchdown. They're only down 3 at half. They get the ball to start the second half, but they go 3 and out. San Francisco scores a touchdown. They throw an interception. And then San Francisco scores another touchdown. All of a sudden, you go from being down three to down 17 in just a few minutes. And then the game's over. But this is a divisional game, too. I'm I'm sure there's nothing more they'd like than to at least give Dallas a tough game here. Um, Dallas, it's tough for me to figure out what to do with them coming off of a stretch of games where they haven't really looked great. I'm they should have lost to the lions in that game. If the two point conversion was just called correctly, they had a couple mistakes there. Some of the same concerns we have with them. They had the ball with a chance to try to run it out after the lions turned it over and they couldn't run it out or complete and move the ball down the field and score a touchdown to get up two scores. They were only able to kick a field goal to keep it a one score game there was a incompletion. They stopped the clock. Just bad management, right? Things like that are what I worry about with Dallas against the better teams. I'd be okay playing Washington in here. I, I'm going to wait for it to see if we can get it up to 14, though. Uh, and then we can get like 14, 14 and a half, because I think we probably can. Uh, Eric, what about you in this game? Cowboys, Commanders. I'm doing nothing in this game. Like, I, I want nothing to do with this. I'm just going to be on the sidelines. We... The thing to remember is the Cowboys game and the Eagles game are tied with each other. So if the Cowboys win, they have the East locked up. So if they get out to an early lead, the Eagles are probably going to pull all their starters. Um, And then kind of vice versa, if they, you know what I mean? Like both those games are tied into each other. So if you're betting either of those games, you kind of have to watch it. They're difficult to really gauge. Like, because for Philly, and think about it, it's not a bad spot to be in. Obviously, you want a home game, right? I know Mm -hmm. that that's what you want, but it's the difference between these two. It's not a bad spot to to go play that NFC South team. No, not on the road. They're gonna gonna play the Saints, the Falcons, or the or the Bucks. Are you are you terrified about that game on the road? So you're right. If you're the Eagles, especially Cowboys get up a little bit here early. Cowboys are up by 14 or they're up by 20. Is Dak going to be in the game late in the game? Are they going to be trying to run it up? And then if Philly sees that, do they just say, Hey, screw it. We're not going to risk hurts or anyone else getting banged up. We on don't mind going on. They've been struggling so much. Are they going to try to they, get 
that's a great point because they're not in that situation where you feel like they can just give away reps right now. They got to try to figure some things out and get a little bit of a, a good feel, at least with a guy like AJ Brown, the Eagles, you know, heading into next week. So, I think with both of these games, I'm just going to stay away from them because of all those factors. Yeah, both those about. games are kind of tied. I'm absolutely staying away from both of them. Maybe if the the Cowboys get up to an early lead, maybe I'll look to take the Giants live. That would be the only thing I'd do here. We go Broncos at the Raiders, another situation where two teams have absolutely nothing in here to play for. The Raiders are a three-point favorite in this game over under 38. Raiders go last week playing the Colts. They go 54 yards on their opening drive, kick a field goal. But then after that, they had to punt on their next three possessions, and they're down by 11 at halftime. They started to improve offensively in the second half. They just couldn't stop the Colts, who were able to kick field goals on three drives. And the Colts took a lot of time off the clock, going five minutes on two of those drives. They couldn't get the onside kick late in the game, but they were able to cover for those of us who had a three and a half plus three and a half on the Raiders. Um, they went out offsides on a missed field goal, and that ended up being the difference in the game because the Colts got a chance to kick that field goal again earlier in the game. So some little mistakes here and there. Broncos are eliminated from playoff contention, even with the win last week. Stidham was fine. He didn't do much. He actually graded quarterback 33 on the week. They just didn't ask him to do a whole lot. He was 20 of 32, 224 yards and a touchdown. He wasn't all that accurate. They only scored one touchdown in the game, but we got to give the Broncos some credit because this defense did improve a lot throughout the year. They gave up 70 points earlier in the year and were one of the worst defenses historically that we'd ever seen at different stretches of the season. And they did to show you that they had pride and they became quite a quite a different defense in the second half of the year. Can you do anything in this game where these two teams have zero really to play for? Do you think the Raiders are playing for the coach here or Pierce? I have no idea what to do here. I mean, obviously, selfishly, I need this game for the Broncos to go over their win total, so I'll be rooting for that. In terms of this actual game, I'll probably look to take Raiders tight end props. We need to monitor the health of Mayer just because the Broncos are so bad defending the tight end. I'll play some mayor props, but in terms of side, look, Raiders are starting O'Connell. I know he's looked good, but Vance Joseph defense has gotten better. Their weakness is defending the tight end. Zamir White is going to play. It doesn't look like Josh Jacobs is going to go. Do you trust this Raiders offense to move the ball against a decent defense, which has been playing better? Flip side, you have Jared Stidham, who's you know just kind of there because they don't want to play Russ. How much is this Broncos team going to be motivated? Um, but on the they flip were, side, there's a lot of guys in that team that probably aren't going to be there, so they're looking to put stuff on film. Tricky game to cap, but I'll just look for Mayer um, receiving props just because the Broncos do give up the most yards per game to opposing tight ends. The guys I was listening to on one of the shows, they I can't remember. They had a couple good names for Stidham. I think they were calling him either the Grim Reaper or the Undertaker. They're like, Stidham's the guy to they bring in when you're when your starting quarterback is done, you know, because Stidham's not a guy that you think is going to be your future guy. He's just like, Hey, Stidham's the guy we're just going to have for the next few games. He did the same exact thing for the Raiders last year. Yeah. When they were yep. done with Carr, it was like Carr's done. Um, let's just get Stidham in there for a few games. It's like, let's play the undertaker's music. Here it comes. Carr, you're done. Adios, Russell Wilson. Get out of here. 
you heard Jared Stidham's music being played. Uh, I have no idea what to do in this game with these two teams. We move to the Chiefs at the Chargers. Chargers are a three and a half point favorite in this game. This is another weird one because the Chiefs have nothing to play for. They have clinched the division. They can't move up or down. They're going to get a home game. It's their eighth straight AFC West. So I can't imagine you get a whole lot of Mahomes or Kelsey in this game, especially the older guys. Um, they they were kind of like the Eagles too, to where you wanted to see them play a little better. They played a little better last week. Mahomes graded quarterback 12. He had a couple big time throws. Um, what was nice to see from them, explosive plays, which they hadn't been doing a whole lot. He had four 20 plus pass plays in the game and they had two big run plays from Pacheco, but the, and the offense averaged seven yards per play, 373 total yards. So that was all good, but one of three in the red zone, they had a turnover, another bad drop. It was uh Valdez Scantling in this game who didn't look very good a couple different times. They were only three of 12 on third down. They had to settle for six field goals in the game. The last six scores in that game were Harrison Butker field goals, which is crazy. Uh, But they did run the ball a little better. If you're the Chiefs, you feel better than if you were the Eagles because at least your offense was competent and you got short and you couldn't execute in the red zone. But you moved the ball and you made some explosive plays. I just This is a number that tells you they don't expect any of the Chiefs players to play. We're going to get some Easton stick, baby. He was graded quarterback 23 last week. Um, he did have five carries for 31 yards. I mean, if I was looking to play something in here, I actually wouldn't mind playing some Easton stick rushing props if there, if you can find them out there. So I think you could see him try to just try to make plays in this game. I think a guy like him is auditioning for a backup role. He's trying yeah. to show that he can be a backup next year. That's That would probably be the way I attack this game. Can he at least show, hey, look, I can move the ball. I can run. I can pick up some first downs here. Other than that, I don't really know how to touch this game. Yeah, it's hard because you hit the nail on the head. We really don't know what Chiefs are going to be playing. The one thing I'm looking at right now is Austin Eckler, for 110 total yards, he gets a 100K bonus. Is that something they're going to look to do for him? Especially because after he got screwed over with the other money stuff, right? So maybe they'll look to do that. Maybe I'll look to play his total yards prop over. But in terms of like side or anything, this week's kind of tough just because it's still early in the week and we really don't know who's playing and who's not playing. And we'll know again by Sunday, uh, Sunday morning, if you want to join us at 11 o'clock and me Eastern time for NFL betting blitz for the final this week. And again, remember, don't feel, oh my God, last week at the NFL, I got to get all these bets in. We have a lot coming up. We have a lot of playoffs coming up. We have extra teams making the playoffs right now. There's still plenty of football left. Don't force every game and don't feel like you have to just because it's the final week. We'll still have plenty of opportunities for action over the next month and a half. Where do we go next, Eric? The Rams at the 49ers. So 49ers, they are locked in as the number one seed. They're going to get a buy and home field advantage through the NFC. It was a nice bounce back game for them. They dominated time of possession, 408 total yards, 28 first downs. They scored on five of their seven actual possessions. Purdy, how about this? Brock Purdy set a single season passing record for the franchise. A franchise that had one. I didn't even realize that or think about that. 4,280 yards. And what's, and what's, 
makes it impressive is that he did it in the 16 games too. It wasn't like the additional game that was the reason why he had 400 yards in that extra game and that pushed him over. McCaffrey did get banged up. He's not going to play this week. I don't know how much we can expect, but the same sort of for the Rams, right? Both of these teams are kind of locked into their spots. And if I'm the Rams, I don't want Stafford out there getting banged up, getting hurt. Yeah, they already announced that um, Carson Wentz time. There we go, baby. Wentz there, time. So so. This, is, this is Wentz against um, Darnold. Rams have announced no Puka, no Cup, no Williams, no Stafford, no Jones, no Donald. They're basically just resting everybody. And that's um, smart for them. They have no well, reason to, to risk anyone because they can't move up or down anywhere. Yeah, so... But on the flip side, I could honestly see the 49ers resting a lot of people Everybody as well. Too. Because of that, this is another game where it, there's just not Can't much you can it. do because you really no. don't know what's going to be going on. Can't touch it. We continue along. We go Eagles at the Giants. And we were previewing this one a little earlier. We were talking about the Cowboys game. Same sort of situation for this one. Uh, the Eagles are a five-point favorite here. They want to try to win the division if possible. But if Dallas is up in their game and Dallas is favored by 13 right now, then the Eagles are going to look over and say, okay, we're not going to really go all out to worry too much about this game because we don't want to let our quarterback or A.J. Brown or anyone get hurt when they're banged up already. But as you pointed out, they got to they gotta feel good about themselves a little bit coming out of this game even if it's just for a half of your starters where you get a two good drives and you sort of reestablish AJ Brown they feel like they need to get a little something all that being said again I'm not forcing it on this type of a game I'm I'm not playing the Eagles in this spot if anything I would actually be fine playing the Giants at home plus the five it's, they've played really well with Tyrod. They should have beat the, the Rams last week. They had 389 total yards. Uh, the game, both the teams are really sloppy, but the Giants missed a field goal that would have won the game from 54 yards. So it wasn't 64. It was a makeable field goal from 54. And earlier in the game, they missed a two-point conversion. The They actually gained three turnovers from the Rams, but they did not win that game. It was an ugly game for the Rams, and it was nice for them to just win that game and clinch their playoff spot. For me, this is Giants or nothing. Yeah, Taylor, 63% ATS as a dog. And I really think we need to talk about this Eagles defense. 27th total DVOA, 29th pass DVOA, 19th rush DVOA. Over the last six games, they're giving up more than 31 points a game. They've given up 51 points in the second half of games to the Giants and the Cardinals in back-to-back weeks at home. Those two teams were ranked 31st and 24th in offense this year. How about this one? Arizona hadn't hit 30 points all year. The highest they scored in any game this year was 29 Arizona scored 29 in the second half last week against the Eagles. That's insane. That is absolutely insane when you think about it. Um, And they're just missing Gannon. You know what I mean? It just comes down to the end of the line. You hit this at the beginning of the year, both coordinators. Both of those guys have gone on. Gannon, it's like he he looked like the guy that was in their huddle on every play. It's like 
the way that he was running his offense against their defense, their defense couldn't, he knew where to beat their defense every time and how to beat them. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it, they have went to calling Matt Patricia as their deep. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's been, that's how bad it is. And they rank 30th in the league in third down conversions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're 46.4%. And like you said, since taking over the defensive play calling duties, the Eagles, yeah, have allowed 29 points per second half, which is just nuts. Um, they allowed Arizona to score touchdowns on four straight possessions. If you look at the box score for this game, it's pretty nuts. Arizona had 32 first downs. The Eagles had 17. Arizona had 449 total yards. The Eagles had 275. They allowed Arizona to get into the red zone six times, and Arizona had 220 yards rushing. They had almost double the time of possession. The Cardinals held the ball for 39 minutes compared to just 20 minutes for the Eagles. That was as ugly as a game as they've had all year. They were actually lucky they got up earlier in that game, and the score was as close as it was. They should have gotten beat by 30 in a game like that. Yeah, it wasn't that. It was a bad showing. And A.J. Brown is obviously upset. There's obviously a lot of issues going on in that locker room. But it just kind of shows, like, they're going to need a new offensive coordinator. They're going to need a new defensive coordinator. They're going to reset. Obviously, Howie does such a great job of bringing talent in. I'm not really worried about them long term. But this season, there is a little bit legit concern just because of the issues they're having on the back end of the defense defense not being able to stop the run and um, the offensive issues. So I'm not going to do anything here, but I may be fading the Eagles come playoff time. And I mean, think about that. Think about saying that week seven, week eight. I mean, it shows you how quick the NFL can turn. Yeah. Week uh, six week stretch, right? 125 yards every week. And then he's had one game with a hundred plus receiving yards since week nine has AJ Brown. We get to Seahawks at the Cardinals. We were just talking about this Cardinals team who come off of playing a really good game against Philly. And they've not been great throughout the year, but they're three and four in their last seven games with Murray in the lineup. It was actually the first game this year of a hundred plus passer rating for him. That just shows you how bad the Eagles defense has been too. For the Seahawks, Game was tied with 10 minutes to go in the third quarter against the Steelers. They just couldn't get stops. Pittsburgh scores on two of their next three drives. Seattle's only able to kick a field goal. Then they fumble. Pittsburgh gets a short field. All of a sudden, Seahawks are down by 10. They scored 23 points. They had 7.5 yards per play. They had 369 total yards. They couldn't stop the run. They allowed 202 yards rushing. And now they're actually going to play a team that just had an incredible game on the ground as well where the Eagles couldn't stop them. And they ran for 221 yards on the ground. So matchup wise, if Seattle can't stop the run here, they're going to be running into a bad team. That's actually going to try to lean on the run with Connor and with Murray. Seattle also made a few costly mistakes on offense. They had a fumble on a strip sack. They lost a timeout on a challenge. They dropped a touchdown pass. They allowed Pittsburgh to get into the red zone seven times with Mason Rudolph. Yeah, I'm not I'm um, not really high on Seattle how they've been playing as of late. They squeaked by in a couple wins on, on game winning drives. And those are just you can't expect that to happen week in, week out. 
I took the three here. I, I, I mean, obviously at two and a half, I wouldn't play it, but if it gets back up to three at DRF, I'd look to get it in Murray 24, 14 and two 63% ATS Carol as a road favorite, 43% ATS NFC West favorites, 29.4 P Carol. That is 0.4% ATS. We need to remember the thing about Murray is he's playing for next year. Cardinals don't know what they're doing. There's plenty of teams that need a quarterback. So Murray's going to be giving this phenomenal effort because he needs that money. I know how as crazy as it sounds, Metcalf, for whatever reason, they just don't give Metcalf the ball enough. It is a remarkable how little he is featured in that passing game. So I don't think they're going to be able to take advantage of the issues the cards have in the secondary. DVOA, the Seahawks are bottom 10, defending the run, defending the pass, total defense. I don't think they're going to be able to stop the cards. I think the cards are going to be able to run the ball with Connor, like you said. And again, this is another team that basically needs to win to get in. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to take the cards here plus the three. Final game Sunday night football. This game is one of the weirder games for me as a gambler because th- this is where I struggle. I don't like Miami overall as a team very much. I don't think they're that good. I think every time they've played good teams, they've been exposed. They should have got beat by Dallas a few weeks ago, too. If Dallas was able to score on that opening drive, things would have been different in the game. Their defense is now really banged up, too, with Chubb. Um, they're already yeah, missing Phillips. They're already missing Phillips, and now Waddle's banged up and Hill's out. But then one this is I a spot at home. You, or Go ahead. Go ahead. If you're the Ravens, Pittsburgh losing helps Buffalo. Do you purposely just kind of t- – I don't think Harbaugh would ever do this. But you purposely just kind of say, okay, we're going to tank so Pittsburgh can win and try to keep Buffalo out. I don't think Harbaugh would do that, but it's an interesting scenario. Yeah, because that's a team that you think with a seal, like a high ceiling that would be able to compete with the Ravens, especially as well as they're playing. I don't like Miami as a team. But this spot, as a three dog at home, you can't, I, I cannot lay it with Buffalo up to a field goal here, but it's a weird situation. Cause I do like Buffalo a lot more right now. And overall as a team in a basic playoff situation, one game needing to win, I would take Buffalo every day of the week, but I'm not going to lay the number with Buffalo uh, because it just value wise. It, it it's tricky for me as a gambler. I just don't think I can take Buffalo laying three on the road, even despite not liking Miami very much and thinking they're, overvalued this year so this will be another game that i probably end up staying away if this floated up to above a field goal i'd actually jump on the miami side for sure and i'd still be okay with anyone wanting to play miami at plus three if it was under a field goal i i definitely would stay away but this is where what i think about a team versus the spot and the number right as a gambler we have to weigh those things a lot and the novice or people who don't gamble as much don't want to take the numbers into account. They'll say, oh, they're going to beat them. It doesn't matter what the number is. But you can't do that when you're betting often. And we've seen how accurate these numbers are in the NFL. You can't just give away points or half a points or two points. If this game was a pick em, if this game was Bills minus one, I'm fine with that, with not having to worry about the Bills cover with margin. But now all of a sudden that you're up to a field goal, I just can't do it with Buffalo, even though in my heart, I think Buffalo wins this game by double digits. How do you see this? Do you play anything here? 
Bills, Miami. I'm so invested in Buffalo futures. I can't play Buffalo. Um, And I'll probably maybe hedge a little bit, but I'd have to math-wise kind of figure out how to hedge. Um, In terms of this game, teams that lost by 35 points or more, like the Dolphins did, 63% ATS the following game. Teams that lost by 35 points or more that are dogs are 67% ATS. The numbers and the situations say to play the Dolphins. I'm going to hope for a three and a half. If I can get a three, look, I'm fine rolling that out. Um, Tyree Kill's house burnt down today. Um, yeah, and, but you know what I mean? Like, who knows what was in a little electrical fire? Was there something shady? We really don't know what's his mental state going to be. Because I'm not going to lie. Like, when I first moved out to Chicago, there was an apartment fire where I lived. Not in my unit, but in the unit that was I was on the fifth floor. The unit on the first floor had a fire. Um, that kind of disrupted me a little bit more than I would realize. That Absolutely. Was, was it just kind of messes with your schedule, yeah. your and routine. He's already yeah. a little bit banged up on top of that. How is that going to mess around with everything? Plus, you have a young kid in the house. Um, Waddle's a little bit banged up. Finn's banged up on the defensive line and offensive line. Uh, do the Bills have the speed to keep up with Waddle and Hill? Waddle, like I said, banged up. Mozart banged up. There's a lot of injuries on this game, but look, trends and numbers say to play the Dolphins. That's what I'm going to do here. Buffalo, look, if they lose, they're out, which is crazy to think. If they win, they could be the two seed. So they could win, be the two seed, get a home game, win the division, or lose and be completely out. Which is absolutely crazy. It's basically, I think that's it. Win and you're in with them, right? So for the Bills, clinch the division with a win. With a Buffalo win there in the playoffs, obviously, they tie or a Pittsburgh loss, Jacksonville loss, Houston Indy tie. So they they need Pittsburgh, Jacksonville to lose, basically. One of those two teams. Because Houston and Indy aren't going to tie. So uh, they need one of those two teams to lose. Because if Pittsburgh and Jacksonville win and Buffalo loses, they're out. Yeah. And those two teams are going to be favored in games that we talked about where they have a lot more to play for Pitt, Pittsburgh's playing against a Ravens team that has absolutely nothing to play for Jacksonville does the same thing they're playing against teams that have nothing to play for at all and they have every opportunity so pressure is on Buffalo here a team that everyone feels like if they were to get in the playoffs in any one game scenario they could beat anyone on the road at home especially with Josh Allen running and being able to make big plays and their defense is playing a little bit better. They were, they were actually able to make a few moves because their injuries happened so early in the season. They, Mm. they were able to bring a couple extra bodies in and, and change their scheme around a little bit and it's helped them. But wow. Talk about a little bit of Russian roulette here for the bills. I mean, you go all the way up to, like you said, the two seed, or you could be all the way out of the playoffs here. And by Sunday morning, We'll have a little better idea of exactly some of the players who are in. We'll give you some more props to play. We'll talk a little parlay play there and how you can get some action this weekend. But this is one of those to tread lightly because next week and the next six weeks, we'll have big games, lots of props, lots of different things we can play in these spots, matchups we're waiting for. Don't force it because it's the uh, the final week of the season and uh, NFL Week 18. We made it through another one, Eric. Uh, week 18 here. What 
is your schedule going to be like? Is it, I know you've been off a little, what do you have? Do you have podcasts this week coming up or what? Uh, no, what, I what guess this week, um, you know, I have one more week of downtime before I'm back in Chicago. So I'm going to be hanging out with the family and, uh, Doing some family stuff, so you will not see me until Tuesday on my live stream, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Okay, well, the folks, good luck to all of you out there this weekend, and uh, make sure to give us a follow on social media. Check out etof 21 Give me a follow. It's me, Gino B. We'll be back with plenty more NFL in the coming weeks as we have some big playoff games to discuss. Thanks so much for hanging out with us here. Remember, DRF Sportsbook, if you're in the state of Iowa, use the promo code FAST300. Good luck. Let's shift our focus from the NFL on over to horse racing. Big thank you to Eric for helping us out again all year long. He'll be with us all through the playoffs. Friday, Santa Anita. I've got a couple best bets on the card. We're going to look at races 6, 7, and 8. 8 to 1, 6 to 1, 10 to 1 prices on the morning line. What is this brain thinking? Let's see in just a moment. Friday, Santa Anita. Time to talk some Santa Anita for Friday. Got a couple best bets on the Santa Anita Friday card for January the 5th. I'm going to look at races 6, 7, and 8 towards the back part of the card. And as we get ready for the Santa Anita Classic Meet, we always head to DRF.com because they have past performances, clocker reports, and DRF picks every racing day at Santa Anita. They also have help for us if we need some clocker reports. So first-time starters, surface switches, layoffs, Anything you need over there for handicapping the races at Santa Anita, they've got it, drf.com. Also, they have a sale right now. It's the New Year's sale all the way through January the 8th. So when you head to shop.drf.com, you're going to get discounts on all sorts of DRF products. You can save money now on that big sale that's happening through January the 8th. So for Saturday or for Friday, I'm going to be taking a look at races 6, 7, and 8. Let's dive into the past performances here. Race number six is a mile on the dirt. These are made in special weights. And I'm going to take a look at the number three in here, Ultimate Authority. This horse is going a mile and stretching out for the first time after going six and a half furlongs on November the 26th. I like to watch the start of races like this because what happens early could really impact a horse's entire trip in a race. This is the number two Ultimate Authority. He was the number two in his debut. He's the number three. So watch, he has a good start. He's right with the leaders here. But they have to make a decision because there's a group of four horses that are all going to the lead. Do you want to keep going or do you want to back off? Well, the two is in between ultimate authority. Now he's with this top group of three and he's got to figure it out. Do I stay there? What am I going to do? He has to make that decision at some point. So right here, they back off a little bit, but he just couldn't get back into contention. Now, it's just hard to start and stop sometimes. And that's what we saw with Ultimate Authority in that race. Now, he was actually, even within a couple lengths, top of the lane here, turning for home and in some traffic, I don't think he was going to run much better than that. But now he's wide out here. The key is 
what we saw early from this horse. Sprinting right there in contention, had to make that decision, backs up, and then can't come on again. We'll get Lasix for the first time. And if you look at the rest of the field, She's a Tempest is quick from the rail. Two sprints to a route now stretches out. Alone has not showed speed in either start. Gate to Paradise is not fast early. He's tactical. He wants to sit off the pace a little bit, but he's not a speed demon. Scarlet Avenue did not show speed in her debut, and we haven't seen any kind of pace from discrepancy in, in three starts. I think in this smaller field, with a good beginning, Ultimate Authority could be sitting in a really nice spot in here. This barn has been excellent with the young horses, and they've done a great job with horses making their second start as of late. Ultimate Authority, 8-1 to one on the morning line. I make, make sure to use this horse in exotics, and I'll play a win wager if I can get anything around 5-1 to one or above. Let's move to race number seven. I'm going to look at the number four in here. All have another kiss. This is a four-year-old filly now for Doug O'Neill. Her last two turf starts have been really good. They've both been sprinting. October the 28th, she breaks her maiden gate to wire. Then she comes back on November the 24th. She had some traffic early on. She was a little farther back than she would have liked. But she stayed to the inside. Then she had the tip out early in the stretch. The top two separated. She finished third that day. She was a clear-cut third. And she showed us that she can pass horses if she has to. But she has a lot more speed than just that last running line would suggest. Remember, she broke her maiden going gate to wire. Look at the last two races, and you almost want to combine the two of them. Can she just sit a little closer than she was last time, but not right on the lead in here? That's what I'd love to see from All Have Another Kiss. Has more speed than she showed last out, but she can pass horses. She's 6-1 to one on the morning line. My value line is 9-2. to two. If she's anything over 4-1, to one, I'm going to make a win wager on her in the spot. Then we move to race number eight. I'm going to look at the number three, Jaminetti, in here. This guy isn't a win machine, but he's very consistent, and this is a good spot for him. This is the level where he fits. He most recently was third. He was only beaten the neck behind Lambo. In Lambo, if you look at his running style, he is a speed horse. He wins when there's not other pressure. He doesn't like to deal with pressure. Lambo doesn't sit off the pace at all. He's a one-dimensional speed type. He got the lead. He was able to just hold on that day. Now, let's look at the way this race projects. Lambo's very quick, but his most recent race was going six furlongs. He'll have to go six and a half in here. So he's going to have to go a little bit longer, and he was all out for that win. Right next door, Top Gun Tommy, he's quick. He can put pressure right on him. Jam and Eddie, it's not like he's slow. But Disco Ball is very quick. He can put a lot of pressure on Lambo, And I think dropping in class, they'll probably try to do that. Just make sure this horse is handled like he's one of the best in here and get him aggressively placed. You're also going to have Elector, who's adding the blinkers after not even getting involved last time out. I'd imagine they're going to want to try to get him forwardly placed on the drop with the blinkers on. Patron Dioro He's very quick as well. Established, he wants to sit off a little, but he doesn't want to be too far out of it. I just think Lambo is going to be facing a lot more pressure than he faced last time, and it could set up very well for Jaminetti, who has enough tactical speed to stay close early, but he can just keep grinding. And at six and a half, he will continue to fight. 
He battled. He couldn't get by the loose on the lead. Lambeau last out. He's 10 to 1 on the morning line. He was right there on the wire with Lambeau last out. He's super consistent. His last victory came at the $25,000 level, going six furlongs. We've seen him win going six and a half as well. I think there are plenty of things to like about Jammin' Eddie, who was 10 to 1 on the morning line on Friday at Santa Anita. We'll have some plays for Saturday at Santa Anita. Remember, they start that coast-to-coast pick five where you can play on Saturdays and Sundays races that are from both Gulfstream and Santa Anita set up in a pick five sequence. That's a 15% takeout, a $1 minimum, and it's a really nice payout because it'll carry over to the next day if no pick fives are hit. So take a look at the coast-to-coast pick five on Saturdays and Sundays at Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park. And remember, whenever you're playing the races, you have to get to DRF.com. And for Santa Anita, they'll have past performances, clocker reports, and DRF picks every racing day. Good luck on Friday at Santa Anita. We move from Friday to Saturday. Let's start with Gulfstream Park. Barry Spears joins me. We will give out a few best bets, and then we'll each talk about the three stakes races that end the card at Gulfstream Park on a fun Saturday card. Kick back and enjoy. We go for almost an hour talking Saturday Gulfstream. Time to talk about another Saturday of racing at the Gulfstream Park Championship Meet. I am Gina Bacola here alongside my good friend Barry Spears, the sniper. We're going to talk about Gulfstream's Saturday card for January the 6th. We get to kick off the racing now in 2024. And this is a fun time of the year as we now have these horses that are newly turned three-year-olds. It's actually doing a little write-up for DRF video we're going to do for Uh, social media on Instagram this weekend, Barry, all the focus really across the country is on the three-year-olds. We have two stakes races for three-year-olds that you and I are going to discuss. We'll also dish out some best bets. The Jerome for three-year-olds over at Aqueduct has Derby points up for grabs. Then at Santa Anita, they have the grade two San Vicente on Saturday. Sunday, they have the grade three Santa Inez with Kentucky Oaks points. So only two graded stakes races this weekend in the country. And they're both at Santa Anita, but then all of the other stakes races are major focus on three-year-olds, these newly turned three-year-olds. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I, I always forget that this time of year, everything kind of ramps up, especially for the three-year-olds. And and this is quite early. I mean, it, it's only going to be the 6th of January, and, and we're already getting into it, which is great. Um, it, it just you know, speaks well to, to what's going to happen later on in the year, come derby time and all those turf races and the dirt races and everything is just exciting. So for the purpose of this video, Barry and I are going to talk about races 9, 10, and 11, which are three stakes races on the card for Gulfstream Saturday, and we'll also dish out two best bets that we have earlier on the card. Barry's going to look at races 1 and 6. I have uh, horses to keep an eye on for races 2 and 7. 
Like always, we'll be diving into the daily racing form, past performances, shop.drf.com. They have a whole section for Gulfstream Park where you can get PPs, DRF picks, clocker reports every single day. Remember, you can get those clocker reports for Santa Anita and Gulfstream every day. You need help with the first-time starters, surface switches, layoffs, all of that. Any additional info you need right there. And there's actually a sale going on right now all the way through January 8th. There's a New Year's Day sale, a New Year's sale where you can take advantage of past performances, clocker reports, digital paper, all the stuff that you love to use from drf.com that helps you with your handicapping. You can get discounts on all of it right now through January the 8th. So check out more about that sale. But Barry, we've got some ground to cover for Saturday. Before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about the weather, though. It could be wet out there on Saturday, right? Yeah, the, the forecast has it at, at 50% chance. Um, so I'm, I'm gathering it's going to be wet, whether they take the, the you know, the later races, like, um, you know, the 9th, 10th, and 11th off the turf, you know, remains to be seen. I think that's, you know, probably a good thing that obviously they're at the end of the card. Um, but I, I would anticipate a little bit of wet weather for sure. You're going to get things started for us right off the bat in race number one. Yeah, you know, I, I typically don't do this very often because, you know, most of the time, I don't know if, if, if you pay attention to, to cards around the country, but the first race of the day is kind of like a setup. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's usually not the most competitive field. It's, it's kind of something that, that gets the people that are at the track or betting, you know, kind of a winner under their belt. And, and it's usually kind of like a gimme. In this sense, or this race on Saturday, this is a really tough race um, because you got a bunch of newly turned three-year-olds. A lot of them are trying synthetic for the first time. A lot of them have run also on the synthetic, but haven't been all that stellar. So I, I think it's an opportunity where you can beat the favorite. Like the two on the dot doesn't look bad. Obviously dropping down from maiden special weight, maiden optional claimer 50 down into 25. But that horse doesn't seem like you know, a standout here because there's, there's looks to be a lot of speed on paper. You got the five divine uh, sky divine that has some speed. Um, I, I would think Mobe princess is, is probably going to try to force the issue. And even Cajun dove who's, who's kind of dropping in might end up having to, to, to kind of get position. And that one's three to one. And I have no confidence in any of the favorites. That being said, I went to number nine, smart Jenny. Um, I think this effort that the horse had on September 23rd was not that bad. And dropping down into 25,000, even though it is on the synthetic, might be the best thing for this horse. Um, I, I think the race sets up a little bit, you know, the pace dynamics set up pretty well for Smart Jenny. And I, and I think there's, there's going to be some improvement here. Um, again, a, a field loaded with with a bunch of speed horses that really don't know how to run in a five furlong race it's going to be a, a crazy dash up front and and i think just with the experience that, that smart jenny has and the running style that that she has will put her in a really good position to win this race whether she wins or not is another story but i'm willing to take 10 to 1 on that and then you got the the makeover package getting lasix first time then you see the bullet work uh on December 23rd, it kind of seals the deal for me. I, I think this one has a good shot. Probably won't be 10 to 1, though. 
Smart Jenny going to get you started with a nice price right off the bat in race number one for Barry. And the positive is, is for some reason, if it does rain and these races do get removed, this one will be on the synthetic. So you shouldn't really have to worry about a lot of scratches or changes. In some of these synthetic races, as we move to race number two, Barry, I'll give you one. The This is a grass race. Number two, uh, race number two. It's a maiden special weight going one mile on the turf course here. I'm going to look to the number seven. In this one, I'm looking at Farm Team, and Farm Team is 12 to 1 on the morning line. This is the first time that he's going to get a chance to try the turf. They wanted to get on the grass on October 29th. It was a race that was taken off because of a sloppy track. You've seen improvement from him in each of his races based on the buyers, and he's gotten better as they stretched out. I like the fact that he showed speed last time out, career best speed. He was forwardly placed. He was in the mix. He finished fourth in the field of 10. The horse who won that day was a horse named Sneed. Sneed came back out of that race. He went over to fairgrounds. He won an optional claimer and he earned an 80 buyer speed figure. He won that race by seven and a quarter lengths. Then he came back in the Gunrunner stakes and he finished a good second that day behind track phantom. And he earned an 87 buyer speed figure that day. So he lost to a horse named Sneed, who was a very nice horse. So I'm looking at his form overall. I think those three races, the way he was improving, the way he was stepping forward, I feel like he was on a nice trajectory. Now he gets Lasix for the first time. He's a little bit fresh, just off for a couple months, and now he should be able to have a little bit of maturity as he's turned three. He's growing up a bit, and he tries the grass if they're on the grass, this is a horse who actually, if they take off the grass, I wouldn't even really bother me as much because we know he has the experience, but I'm looking at the grass. His dam was second in the only turf start Padmore. And then when we look at his siblings, he's actually got some pretty nice siblings when it comes to grass success. A horse like Bon Raison was a nice runner. Um, wasn't quite as impactful on the turf as some of the others, like flying Scotsman, who was a five-time winner on the turf flying Scotsman was really nice. He just so, had a tough time. I think he had a couple of layoffs and some injuries. He was actually a hurdle horse too. And then came back after hurdle races and won a race at Mountaineer, which you don't see often. He's running two and a mile, two, eight, two and a mile eights. And he cuts back and wins at Mountaineer in uh, an allowance <laughs> race there. Lee court was a nice horse on both surfaces, turf, actually turf synthetic and the dirt. This is a horse who was really solid on the grass. You have a grade three winner on turf. You have Barracks Road, who was a multiple stakes winner on the turf. You have King Snake, who was a turf winner. So I'm liking his trajectory already, Barry. And then I look at the pedigree and see that there's been a lot of turf success in this pedigree too. So I think he can keep stepping forward, possibly have a reason to improve even more now on the turf. You have a very capable barn who doesn't ever win at a huge monster 30% clip because they're just more patient with the way they handle their horses and the, just the way they go about it. I love the fact that Saez jumps aboard here. Lots of things for me to like. This horse has gotten to work on the turf already. Also, major positives for me for the number seven farm team who's 12 to one on the morning line. Anything Six or above feels fair in what's a competitive race. And I'd play a win wager on him if he was, you know, seven to one and above. Yeah, I think you're going to get all of your price because they're, they're going to gravitate to, to the, the bigger name connections in this race. Like um, you, you'll see the one probably take a lot of money. The two probably take some money. 
Um, the, the Pletcher horse with Irad is probably going to be way, way over bet here. And then the Cassie horse is probably going to get bet. So, you know, I, I, I would hope that you're getting probably around 10 to one, if not that 12 to one, maybe even higher. Um, but yeah, the, you, you sniffed out that points to this horse being live, especially with the experience. You know, uh, I think this is a good pick foundation shown a little bit of speed but i don't necessarily think he needs the lead you have a good speed rider aboard some turf here farm team 12 to 1 on the morning line in this one barry will take the baton and you will head to race number six my friend this one is a an optional claimer optional 20 first level allowance for florida breads going six furlongs on the dirt talk to us about how you see this race playing out yeah, this is a horse I'm I'm gonna uh, go back to the well with because I I think we were one race too soon, um, and that's you know I'm gonna go with number eight, Principia. Um, we picked this horse, or I did on on December 22nd, and the horse ran a bang up race going a mile, and I, I think that's a great springboard into cutting back into this race because there's not an overabundance of speed in here. Um, the, the pace will probably be honest to a little bit slower. Um, and I think this one from the outside is going to get a great trip. Now, again, whether this horse wins or not is a whole nother story, but what I try to do is get horses at a price that will probably have a decent shot with a good trip. And, good trip, and run well, outrun their odds. I mean, you look at that last race, and and there's really not many exactly. And that's what we're looking for here. And you see that this horse took some action that day. You know, the, the race prior on December 9th, 56 to 1. And then the next race, they're 960 to 1. Um, obviously, somebody saw what we were seeing. And I think the cutback will make all the difference here because that this horse is going to have a little bit of foundation and be able to finish this race off without actually being on the lead. And if this horse actually ends up on the lead for whatever reason, that might even be better. Principia drawn well, has some speed, but can sit off and pass horses, should be fit cutting back, puts herself in a good spot. Can she just get a little lucky and finish the job at a big price in here of 15 to 1? On the morning line, that's race number six on Saturday at Gulfstream Park. I'll head right next door to race number seven, and then we'll move to the three stakes races on the card, races nine, 10, and 11. The seventh race is a turf mile and 16th race. It's an optional 25 first level allowance for uh, a good field of horses, older horses now. Contentious. I think you can make cases for uh, a many in here. Some of the ones towards the outside that I think will get a lot of support. You'll see uh, Macalop, who I think fits, getting back to the grass. Quality G, very honest, always shows up with a, a good effort. And uh, the 12, I think, is one that might also take a, a little bit of action in here. I'm going to go to the five. Barry, blame the good times. This is a horse who most of his career, I think, makes sense when you go through it. And now his last couple of starts that should set him up really well for this on October the 12th at Keeneland he was forwardly placed in a race where they went pretty quick early on and he drew a wide post and he just had to use some of the some speed to try to get into the race but he it was his first start in 10 months he hadn't run since January 
So he absolutely needed the race and he ran like that. He was involved early from a wide post, tired, faded, and they went pretty quick early. Then on December the 9th, I thought it was a good effort. Um, he was behind Quality G and Fredo in that very same race, but we can actually watch the race here, which is really nice. That's why we love these DRF formulator past performances. Last race we were looking at charts. We're looking at race replays. We're looking at pedigree information. So Quality G, Fredo, and Blame the Good Times are the two, four, and five in here. They all come out of the same race. I'm looking at the four is the horse that I like. And he was inside a fine start at this point he's sitting about fifth or so and that's where he'll he'll kind of stake his spot in that fifth sixth spot he's about three lengths off the pace in here and you can just play it out if you're a trip handicapper you'll see he's in the third flight and that's the worst place to be the second flight some of the times you can make your own trip. You can work your way around horses. You can kind of back up and angle out. When you're in the third flight and there are two sets of horses in front of you, it's so likely that one of these horses is going to stop or back up and you're just going to be in trouble. And that's exactly what ends up happening here. We watch Blame the Good Times, the four. He starts to cruise back into it and he's going to just get stopped badly. And he's, he's going to lose right here two lengths of positioning as he gets stopped. The one backs oh, up right into him just as he was starting to gather all of his momentum. And that ends up being the difference between, I don't know about winning, but being a lot closer, he angles around right here. He comes on again and he'll end up losing a photo for second, but he has to go from two lengths farther back tip to the outside and these are the horses that all just get the jump on him because they had better positioning. Just misses third here in a photo. I thought, you know, I don't know if he wins this race, but he's a lot closer to quality G in this spot. And he'll be two and a half to three times the price of quality G. He's now going to make his third start off the long layoff, Barry. So can he just take one more step forward now? I think so. He missed a long period of time. He's still improving. He's still got some upside here. I like blame the good times at five to one. Yeah, he definitely has some upside here. I, I hope the the rider has learned something from that race um, because he really got himself in, in a spot. I know he was trying to get covered up, but it, it, it's tough, especially at Gulfstream, because you, you, you get locked in. I mean, these guys really put their horses in position at the top of the stretch. And if you can't get out, you're kind of you kind of screwed because then you see like like what happened with this horse where horses kind of back up in front of you. And, and then you have to kind of work your way around. You have to be much the best to, to win in that fashion. So hopefully he doesn't get trapped on the rail. He's probably exactly. like one path off it. And that way he has the leeway to, to kind of maneuver. And that'll make all the difference. And what I like is that he has positional speed. I think what ended up happening was races in a horse's pattern. Sometimes it's trial and error. You know, I think you'll see a lot of times when a horse like this was probably too close on October the 12th, or maybe they just went a little too fast early. You almost try to overcorrect in the next race and say, let's take him back a little bit farther and, and then you end up getting trapped there. And at one point he was almost five lengths out of it, which he's never really been before. And that's a lot, a lot to ask him when his advantage is probably his tactical speed. 
and the fact that he can sit in front of some of the deeper closers. So you don't want to take that away from him and then have to put him next to some of these horses that are in sixth and seventh, and they're going to start winding up. I think that was a great point that you had. And you can, you can see it when you look at horses running lines sometimes where, Oh, they went too fast that time. The next time let's make sure they don't go that fast early, but uh Oh, we caught caught a little too far back. Now this time let's just get a good start try to get a nice position, sit in third somewhere, and then let's give him every shot to win this race if he's good enough. He's going to be making his third start. He should be plenty fit. Let's just put him in the race and try to get him in a really nice spot here. Right, and and that's all you can ask. You know, as long as they're in the right spot, you know, and and I, I say this all the time about Johnny V, is he puts his horses in the spot where they need to be in order to run. Now, whether they yep. kick on or not different a, story. He can't control story, that all but the time. He, Right. And he places them right in the right spot for them to get a clear run. And if they're good enough, they will definitely win. You know, hopefully, you know, Edgar Perez will do something similar on Saturday because this horse, I think, is is pretty live. Blame the good times. Five to one on the morning line. Seven to two would be my value line. I'd need at least that. If I see four to one up there, I'll play a win wager on blame the good times there in race number seven. Three stakes races on the card. Two of them are on the turf, and they're both for fill, uh, for three-year-olds. One of them for the Phillies, one for the boys. Race number nine is the Ginger Brew for three-year-old Phillies. Going one mile on the turf course. Let's talk about some of the major players just to start or take a look at the horses who will get support. Uzara, very nice horse who won her career debut. Then she went up to Woodbine, tried grade one company. She's a stakes winner last time out right here at Gulfstream Park. You have a horse like uh, was Kaisu, who was very good in her first turf start. She sat nicely just off, and she looks like she has a lot of upside here. Buttercream Babe, as well as the 12 Life's and Audible, come out of Breeders' Cup races. Life's and Audible will take a bunch of money. She's grade two placed for Pletcher. And, I mean, when you look at the, the list of trainer names, for this particular race, Barry, it's a who's who. You have a Delgado who's so good down in Florida. You've got Mark Cassie with the runner with runners, Christophe Clement with runner in here. Bill Mott has runners in this race. Mike Maker, uh, Delacour, Graham Motion, and Todd Pletcher. So some real heavy hitters when it comes to the barns for this race. And when you see these horses that are coming out of Breeders' Cup races that are making their first start of the year. I, especially at really short prices, I'm always going to look at them as horses that are beatable or horses that I want to take a shot against. Cause I don't think this is the game plan. I don't think they're for them to be 100% cranked up and ready for their best effort here. This is a starting point. Horses like this, when they come out of breeders cup races, they're generally a little over bet. And this horse has a really wide post and connections that get played a ton so starting with Life's Inaudible, who's two to one, I think she's a horse who I'm trying to play against. Yeah, uh, Life's Inaudible is is not very good or hasn't been very good despite her running in. You know, you see the the Miss Grillo and then the, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf where she was clearly overmatched. Um, I, I just I could never have any confidence betting this horse from that post in this kind of race. It just, it just seems like she's way up against it. Um, that being said, there's a couple of horses that, that I, I kind of zeroed in on. And the first one is time to dazzle. Yeah. Um, I know that this race is, is definitely going through Ozara. 
Um, that that's definitely the horse to beat here. Completely agree. But completely above like the short prices. Well, I wouldn't tell you to to throw Ozara out of a pick four or five if you're playing this race. I'd play against the twelve, but I'd use Ozara and a couple others. No, you kind of you kind of have to because. Yeah, and and you don't want to go too deep here because no. there's, there may be a little bit of fool's gold going on with some of these horses. Um, San Pantaleo is, is one of them. I, I just don't think that this horse on the stretch out is really going to to make that big of an impression. Maybe down the line, um, and it, it almost looks like this horse is, is kind of a rabbit for the six. And that was the other horse that I was going to mention. But Time to Dazzle and Ozara will probably be kind of in the same realm of, of, of a trip. And the thing I like about time to dazzle is that first race on uh, September 17th, the was race very, was very, really very good. good, very good. And then, you know, they kind of threw it to the wolves and the Jessamine. Um, and I don't think she really had a shot. They, they went kind of quick early. And, and I think she was a little bit too close to the pace. It was one of those Louis size rides, but it ended up being like, yeah, she didn't really seem overcome. comfortable. You know, she right. just didn't not seem even comfortable. a little bit. Yeah, no, not, just, not just at kind all. Kind of fighting and him the whole time, and it, it you know, and and those were good horses in that race. Don't get me she wrong. was only four to one there. Right, she took a she ton of money. Bet. Exactly, and then off the layoff, this December fifteenth race, she was superior to that field, way better, and I think that puts this horse in a prime position to to improve off of that effort on the synthetic. Um, I, I think this race kind of sets up for, um, even more so than Ozara because she might actually be in front of Ozara and get the jump and that might make all the difference. I mean, Ozara is definitely capable of running this horse down, but if this horse runs similar to what she did on, on that September 17th race at Woodbine, they're going to have a tough time beating her at, at 15 to one, you know, that that's kind of an absurd price and i i I think the the morning line in this race is a little bit off um because i think she's probably going to be half that seven beat the boys in her debut maybe even six to one yeah and i think the six is also right i mean there's just so much to like there 50 to one seems a little absurd but i hope we get it (laughs) we (laughs) saw this race definitely you know push all the chips in Um, the same too because i'm though of the horses you mentioned i felt the same way i thought the four is the horse to beat I had three other horses that were on my radar to maybe include in exotics and maybe even play some sort of tries and stuff in this race. Cause a few of them along with Ozara could a few of them other than Ozara could be nice prices. You mentioned time to dazzle. If this horse is eight or 10 to one, that's fair. You were just about to get to Waskaisu. Uh, go ahead, start talking about the six. Cause this is another one who I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to use too. Yeah. I mean, this horse is, is really like, on the verge of, of doing something nice. You know, the, the horse kind of debuted at Saratoga and it was kind of flat, but then when they stretch this horse out on the turf and you got a whole nother animal and usually that bodes well for the next time out. And that number, I know people like to, to kind of, you know, doubt buyer speed figures. And yes, they're the turf numbers are not as good, but when you're using the same parameters for everybody to evaluate the horses you can kind of predict what is going to happen. And that's the, the value of the buyer speed figure that people kind of don't realize. I know there was some talk on Twitter about it. And, you know, most of the time people don't use them as a predictive sense. They think that the number is a magic number when in actuality, it gives you an opinion about a They're race 
Yeah, patterns, kind way of to judge. Tell you how do you interpret the numbers, right? Do. Right, exactly. And and I think a horse like the six is the prime example of that because the horse just really turned into a different animal on 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 November eighteenth, and you can only understand that that is probably going to happen again. The horse is going to improve, and this is this is why not in the spot, especially with a, a bunch of horses like, you know, like the twelve who's going to take a lot of action and probably doesn't have the same kind of chance that the six does. So, you know, that's how you can kind of come to fruition with these long shots or, or price plays in a race where you think that, you know, a horse like Ozar is going to run well, but may not win. And that's what you're trying to do here is trying to find the value. And, and I think the five and the six offer that value because they're very similar to Ozara, they just don't have the the extra stakes experience that 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 horse does, and they'll offer you much more value than Ozara. The only other horse that I had on my radar that we haven't discussed at all uh, is a horse who I think could get a very good trip in versions of this race, and that's the number ten Yada, who you go through her career. She faced the boys in her debut. She was a runner up going five furlongs in her second start at Colonial. She had trouble in inside. She got shuffled. It was a brutal trip down on the inside. She comes back and she breaks her maiden in her third start at Kentucky. Then she goes over to Laurel. And that race was actually really good on September the 30th. She was a step slow. Uh, she was she ended up moving up. She was about six lengths off. She was five wide at the top of the stretch. And that wide trip just caught up with her. She was in a photo for th- uh, for second that day when Brock Nardini won easily. So just misses second, comes back against Dozen Diamonds. Dozen Diamonds wins going gate to wire, and she loses to Zona Verde gate to wire. So her last two races have been lost in races that were won by gate to wire winners. And before that, she had legitimate trouble. She won before that and had trouble before that. So every one of her races to me, Makes a lot of sense. Is she the most likely winner of this race? No. But if we see this race shaping up where from the outside, life's inaudible, has to try to get a little bit aggressive with that post. Golden Ghost has to go. Independence Avenue will be forwardly placed. Buttercream Bay will be forwardly placed. San Panaleo stretching out from sprint races. We talked about both the five and the six, who I think we're, we're expecting to be sitting a little bit, especially what I'm pointing out, hoping these horses are sitting more like third and fourth. And Ozara probably yes. right behind them because she's not quite as fast as some of those horses. But down to the inside, a horse like Omaha Girl could want to be forwardly placed. There are a lot of horses who could be trying to push it early. And I do see versions of this race setting up for a horse like Ozara who hasn't had a lot of races that have given her the chance to come running late. And and she might be able to do that here, Barry. Yeah. And, and getting a, a, a top notch rider too. Um, I I've noticed the, the few rides that I've seen from him. He's very astute and he he's a really good judge of pace. Um, and I think he, he's going to have this horse in the right spot. And, and that's all you can ask for in a race like this, where it's going to be, it's going to be crazy at the finish. I'm sure. Completely agree. I've been very impressed with Murphy so far and watching him out here as uh, one other point to let you know about on the Saturday card at Gulfstream, those coast to coast pick fives are back now uh, from January 6th, all the way through April 7th, every Saturday and Sunday, five races from Gulfstream and Santa Anita combination, $1 minimum, 15% takeout. 
and a hundred percent carryover to the next. If nobody hits it, there's no consolations or anything like that. So this is a player friendly bet with a low takeout dollar minimum and no four out of fives. When you hit these things, even if they're not box car prices, they always play pay really well. Yeah. You know, they, they had me when, when it was 15% takeout and dollar bet that that's, they yep. got me. So, <laughs> so the, that's, the, this, I, I look forward to these, these kind of uh, bets and and they're very, very good. This weekend you get Gulfstream races nine, 10 and 11 Santa Anita races five and seven. So uh, we're going to talk about races 10 and 11 next. We just finished up with race number 10 or race number nine there. Good luck playing the ginger brew. We will shorten up and head to the Dirtberry on the uh, for the Limehouse. This is a hundred thousand dollar stakes race for newly turned three year olds. Taking a look at some in here who will get support. Valiant Force coming in from the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint. This is a horse who has been a good sprinter, and now they're going to and on the turf. Now they're going to take a swing on the dirt and see if this horse can run on the dirt. This is something we see with a lot of horses with three-year-olds. Why not? There's a bunch of big three-year-old races. Even if you don't want to stretch out, there's big money in sprint races and there could be, it just opens up a lot more for you, a lot more opportunities for you. Uh, So Valiant Force is the horse to start with in here. Cuban Thunder is going to take some money too, coming off a runner-up effort last time out. When you have a horse like Valiant Force, who's certainly, certainly classy, but trying something like this for the first time, you're always going to have people lining up against them. Cuban Thunder, while good, now will be cutting back to a dirt sprint, and we haven't seen him show any success sprinting on the dirt. So the horses who are 7-5 to five and 9-5 to five on the morning line have never showed us success sprinting on the dirt. Yeah, that's, that's why this race is kind of bizarre. Um, you, you have a horse in Valiant Force that's 7-5, to five, who essentially is a dead closer, on the turf it doesn't bode well for the chances on the dirt at gulfstream where from a class standpoint does he tower over this field absolutely sure is he classier and his resume but you're a hundred percent right sprinting on the dirt at gulfstream in this race with a bunch of weird variables he's gonna be up against it in here it just doesn't yeah yeah, I, I would think so. Even even the other horse that that's nine to five on the morning line might struggle. I mean, how, where agree. are these horses going to be? And and it's like it's it's that's why I think that the the morning line is is off and and things will will be a little different. I I, I would be really surprised if Valiant Force is favored. You might get or bad, the, these horses Maybe are three this, to one. Yeah, this much of a difference between the next tier of horses because I agreed with you. Could they win? Could they go really fast? Or maybe these horses sit closer than we're thinking. But on paper, Cuban Thunder is a horse who's been well out of it going longer. And he's not very quick either. Um, so I'm looking at these two horses being well behind. The one that was one I wanted to make sure I, I had in all exotics no. is Sir Flash and- from the inside. Uh, I think I need him in a pick four. Yeah, I I, I actually like that yeah. one too. Um I'm looking at him, Barry, and just his form makes sense to me as a dirt sprinter. He's shown improvement in each of his starts so far. That last race at Tampa on December the 2nd, he broke in. He was bumped a little bit. He has actually towards the back early after he'd been on the lead in his first couple. He ends up moving through the inside. He's traveling well. He gets an opening. He pushes through to battle for the lead. 
and then he just gets a little bit tired, but he ran a good race, showed us something, moved into it, and now from the rail with just a better start, I expect him to be a lot more forwardly placed in this race. Oh, absolutely, because you have Louis Saez, who's definitely going to get this horse in the race. Um, I, I think this horse gained a lot of experience in that December 2nd inaugural at Tampa and can only get better. You see the progression. The horse has improved every time. Why would it stop now? And then the other horse that, that kind of caught my radar is ship to shore. The three, I, I think those efforts, the, the turf efforts, you see got beat by no name Mets who, who was a monster at the time in midsummer. Um, and then got beat by noted who who's, who's pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, you know, three-year-old turf horse. Um, but if you take those two races out, you can see that this horse is improving. The dirt races were good. I, I don't and... know. Like one of the, right. They were decent enough and, and competitive with this field. Now, a lot of that horse's chances hinge on like the six and seven and maybe even the five kind of getting into it up front early, which is certainly possible. But I don't think they're going to go fast enough for a horse like the two or the four to run them down on the dirt. Especially Ship on the might prices. be a, a little bit forwardly placed. Right. Exactly. Yes. You kind of have to bet against those two. Yeah, you do. You do. And I agree. Ship to Shores, for me, a pick four player, absolutely. I had the one, three, and seven as must-use horses for me in the multi-race exotics here. Because I do think the, the seven has enough speed tactical speed to stay in striking range here in his debut at Hawthorne you know those races you got to be quick and keep up in a lot of those sprint races at Hawthorne and he sat a nice trip and was able to show that he can pass horses then they stretched him out in his last three and he's been showing speed going longer his last race it was on the synthetic he was just in a really bad spot throughout a lot of this race uh he's the number eight in here and this was one of those situations where you could just see he was never comfortable, but he kind of he came up, he came on again and in between, even after having a tough trip, he ran in spots to me that pointed out that blinkers could really help a horse like this. Maybe just get him a little bit more focused because I do think there's something there with Steeler Mischief now cutting back and offering you some nice value from the outside. He ends up getting caught in between horses here while wide and that's just a tough spot to be and they don't really know what to do do i go do i take back well, i don't want to be way out of it and so now he gets loses his positioning here then he tries to come on again afterwards and he kind of moves right back up in between horses here and gets stopped and it it's right there that's a tough start to the race for him for a horse like this and I, he should be fitter cutting back the only the only problem I had with this horse is, you know, like I said, the morning line seems a little bit off, and you're gonna get Irad there. Money, absolutely. On a horse you're that gonna get the he's probably money. gonna have to get a little bit aggressive with. He's definitely gonna take some money, and and you know he might not be favored, but he's probably gonna be around five to two, three to one ish. And to me, that was a little bit too low, although he does merit a good chance. So you gotta have to watch the board here. Um, Completely or, or agree. Try to predict what the odds are going to look like because you know there is a situation where that horse goes off five to one but there's also a situation where that horse goes off five to two so you kind of have to you know kind of evaluate what you're doing and, and and try to you know kind of go for the value 
where you think it's going to be. Um, but I, I'm definitely against Valiant Force and Cuban Thunder. If one of those two horses win, it's just not meant to be for me. Yep. One, three, and seven are horses I'm going to use all over the place in this one as uh, Barry Keating on uh, Ship to Shore. We're both on Sir Flash a little, and I like the uh, the outside horse stealer mischief a bit more if we can get something similar to that price. Let's finish up in race number 11. It's the Donya Beach. This one is for three-year-olds going a mile on the turf course. We have a field of 10. Agate Road comes out of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. He's a grade two winner. He's another one that last race in the Breeders' Cup draws an outside post. He's eight to five on the morning line. He's a deep closer in here. Not, not that he ran poorly in the Breeders' Cup. He just ran into some horses that were a little bit better than him that day. He was only beaten a couple lengths. So can't really knock a lot of what he's done. But again, starting point for him. Although I think I prefer him to the other one that we talked about, Life's Inaudible. With his running style, the outside probably doesn't yes, hurt him quite definitely. as much if he's just going to drop back and make one late run, right? I, I don't think he gets parked out wide, and that probably doesn't impact him. They just want to be seventh or eighth early and then press the button late. Yeah, that that's exactly it. But again, I, I, I just don't have any confidence in this horse. I know he ran okay um, in the Pilgrim. Did okay in the in the uh, in the British Cup Juvenile, but there's not much to grab onto, you know, um, unless a horse just shows some really, you know, just physically got bigger from the last time we saw this horse. Like, you know, when horses develop, they they kind of get bigger, wider, that sort of thing, um, which is certainly possible. You see a lot of pleasure horses do that. Um, they they mature and they 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 kind of get ahead of the pack. Now. It's tough to take that horse at eight to five on the far outside like this in a race like this because, you know, there's a lot that could be going on here. I ended up on number seven, Palm Tree. And I think this horse is kind of versatile. And, and I do like the rider switch to Jose Ortiz. But I think this horse can be wherever they put him. If this horse wants to lead or be closer to the lead, I think this horse can sit that trip. If this horse needs to be farther back, which he showed in his last race, I think he can do that too, but I, I do appreciate the fact that the blinkers do come on, which means I think they're going to try to be more forwardly placed. And you see that the, the, the competition this horse has been running with, there's noted again, twice. Um, saw the horse in the bourbon, finished second to can group. Who's a very good horse. And this horse wasn't that far off that just didn't get a great trip from the inside. Um, I, I think Declan Cannon, tried to do everything he could that race to try to get this horse out and just couldn't do it. So Comes we're watching on December 9th in the pulpit. And that, that's what we're going to watch oh, right here. Uh, we have the four and the five. Those are the two horses that you and I like in this race. Cause I like reminder and you like palm tree. I actually yes. have palm tree as my second pick and they're both in this race. And you saw reminder had a little bit more of a slow start, but they're not far away from each other. And they both don't have the best of trips in here. And no, I think they're both very, very live. You see, here comes the five into the picture now. That's the horse that you like. That's Barry's horse, uh, Palm Tree. I'm a reminder, the horse who I like a little bit, not far behind Palm Tree. And you're going to see come into the picture pretty soon. For reminder, he starts to angle out and he alters course. He has to come back inside, and then he has to go all the way around again. He's out in the 6-7 path late, and 
he just misses. It's almost like he cost himself. Watch the four and the five here as they both start to move. So your five is with the blue cap. Four's inside. Now he he kind of pulls like he's going to go down to the inside right here. But then the four goes all the way back around to the outside, which <coughs> just ends up kind of costing him having to reroute. And he goes all the way around. Your five is just a must-use horse because of his running style. He gets the nice jump and just misses in a wicked beat. Here comes the four. Reminder, way outside, closer to the outside rail than the inside rail. And I think both of these horse horses are live. And as you pointed out, I actually think both of them can be a lot closer than they were in that race early on. Yeah, you kind of have to think that, that Jose Ortiz is going to be a little bit more aggressive, especially with the blinkers on. And, and put this horse in a, in a decent spot. Because if, if you look at that race again, um, it looked like Irad on the eight, unnoted, was kind of clocking Palm Tree. I know. When Palm Tree made his move. He went right after. Noted did right on the inside. So it, like, it looks like that's how Irad handicapped that race. Is saying that Palm Tree is the horse that we need to watch out for. And as soon as that one made his move, he made his move on the inside and and kind of had, had to wait a little bit and then went around. But he knew that was the horse to beat. And I think this now blinkers on the equalizer and this horse being a little bit further in front might get this horse to victory. Because they went pretty quick in that race. So they were a little, both the five and the seven were a little farther back than they'll probably be in this race where they may not go sub 46 to the half mile in here. Palm tree adds the blinkers and now goes second start off the bench. So for this particular horse, there's reasons to believe that he could show improvement blinkers on second start putting, putting together off of the short break and maybe sitting a little closer for reminder. That was just his first turf start. So this is a horse who had a bad beginning, kind of had a few tough decisions to make and had to alter course a couple times and should improve second start on the grass. So at around five to one, I think both of these horses are really fair and great ways to try to close out the card at Gulfstream. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the old bailout with a, <laughs> with a non-favorite in the last race. That's what we're looking for. So there's the look at the Donia Beach, the third of three stakes races on the Saturday card at Gulfstream Park. Keep in mind, could be some wet weather, but we talked about some dirt, a uh, couple dirt races. Barry also gave out a synthetic play in the opener, and some of these races, if they were removed from the turf and moved over to the synthetic, fingers crossed that we wouldn't get as many changes for uh, for some of them. That's one of the reasons they like to put that synthetic surface on there. Barry, my friend, as we finish up, tell the folks out there, about big Mondays going in circles with Chuck Simon. Uh, it's it's that time where we're starting to get a lot of Eclipse Award ballots out there. So the next few weeks, we'll hear a lot of Eclipse Award stuff about the whole voting and how it should be in particular horses in division. So that's a that's a big buzz thing on horse racing Twitter right now. What uh what are some of the things you guys have coming up over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, we're going to start talking about the Derby. You know, there's some uh, Derby points races like you, you alluded to earlier with the Jerome. And um, it, it's time to start ramping up and trying to get those uh, those Derby horses together. Uh, we're going to do that next Monday. And then we're going to try to ramp things up with our our website, racinghub.com. So we got a lot in the works. It's, it's just, you know, 
trying to get this new year started right. Let's have a fantastic 2024. Big thank you to all of uh, you out there for tuning in and watching and listening along with us. Remember all throughout the Gulfstream Park Championship meet, if you need past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports, they've got them for you. Shop.drf.com. Clocker reports every racing day for Gulfstream and for Santa Anita. Every single weekend, Barry and I are going to be here with you talking some Gulfstream or some Santa Anita. Maybe some weekends we'll take a look at some other big races if it's a big Tampa weekend or a big Oaklawn weekend. But it's a fun time of the year with big races all over the place. And DRF.com is the place you need to be. My friend, let's crush it this year in 2024. Can we stay out of the hospital too? That cannot be just our uh, our resolution. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please, please. I, I don't want any more visits. No, no more. Of and those. Hopefully, we can shake off the seconditis because we had seconditis all weekend last weekend. We did. It was brutal. <laughs> we missed, and you missed a bad one, and we missed a couple that could have been uh, very, very nice. So let's get smooth trips, happy and healthy horses. That's what we always want as uh, as the gambler. Because you know what? If my horse gets a good trip and this isn't good enough, I can just wipe my hands and move on to the next race very easily. Super easy for me to get over when I just know that, yep, they got a shot, weren't good enough. Boom, let's go to the next one. You got to have a a short memory in this game where you're going to just worry yourself to death. (laughs) Folks, have a fantastic weekend. Let's make some money. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, and we'll be back here in in a couple more days talking more racing. Good luck. Let's move from Saturday at Gulfstream and head over to Saturday at Santa Anita. I'm going to take a look at races four through nine on the Saturday card at Santa Anita. Only two graded stakes races in the country this weekend, and both of them are at Santa Anita, one of them on Saturday, one of them on Sunday. Remember, DRF.com has everything you need every racing day of the Santa Anita Classic Meet, past performances, clocker reports, DRF picks. You can get all of those right now. Remember, there's a big sale happening. Take advantage of that sale right now when you get to DRF.com. If you're watching this video, the link is directly below when you click on the link it'll take you right to the sale so if you're watching on twitter if you're watching on youtube you can get a direct link right to that sale and get everything you need uh, discounted all the way through january the 8th take advantage i'm going to look at races four and on at santa anita help you out with some of the races i thought we might be able to find some value and remember this also starts those coast to coast pick fives this weekend they have coast to coast pick fives at Santa Anita in Gulfstream Park. They combine both of those races. On Saturday, the Coast to Coast Pick 5 will be races 9, 10, and 11 from Gulfstream. Races 5 and 7 from Santa Anita. It's a $1 minimum bet, 15% takeout, and it's a carryover the next day if nobody hits it. It's a really player-friendly bet, so I think it's worth your, your bankroll to take a little swing. Remember, those clocker reports are available at Santa Anita and Gulfstream every racing day. Let's head through take a look at some races for Saturday. 
the fourth race, it's really hard to have a strong opinion, I think, in here. Because you have a horse like Safa, who's been burning a little bit of money. And a horse like Chasing Cat, I wouldn't be shocked if she ran well. But I would want a little bit more of a price than I'm going to get on her. If you play any early exotics, throw a couple of bucks or throw the seven in in a few spots. Because this horse can at least get out front and could possibly get brave in this race this is the fastest early cleared off a length uh, as a rival moved up the rail this horse was done early but now we'll go third start of the form cycle gets lasix for the first time at 30 to 1 throw easter coming back into some of your exotics if you play an early pick five or maybe throw a pick six in there in the fifth race six furlongs on the turf the two money makes money to me is the horse to beat he ran really well in the very same race with ej won the cup and I just thought money makes money was much, much better that day. He completely missed the break. Let's let's watch the race here. We can uh, we can pull it up and I'll show you what happened with money makes money. So there were three horses in that race that are also in this race today. EJ won the cup money makes money and sketchy. They were the four, six and seven. We're going to be oh watching God. the number four as this horse just does not get a start with the rest of the field ends up seven lengths off in here early on but you could see right away this horse was traveling well and got right back into contention but moves in between horses and ends up getting into some traffic we're gonna see it here in just a moment so keep your eye on the four remember both the six and the seven are his rivals and they got way better trips. Watch the seven who's just sitting second. The six is getting the move three or four lengths in front of the four. Watch the four get stopped right there in between horses. Money makes money. Now has to look for a different seam. Money makes money. Tries to wind up again now and follow the six. And as we watch Sketchy move to the outside, here comes right in between to the inside. Money makes money. Runs right by Sketchy and... Finishes a fast closing third. EJ won the cup. Got a perfect trip there. I thought Money Makes Money was much, much better. Ran better than his rivals. And this barn is on absolute fire to start the meet. Money Makes Money. Four to one on the morning line. A major player in here. As of the recording of this on Thursday evening, we already have a couple scratches in this this race. Both the one McVeigh and the 12 Silent Reason are out. Another horse that's on my radar is the four D Medici. In both of his races, you've you've seen something from him. He's ran in spots. In that career debut, he was behind Nysos, who came back to win the Bob Hope and earned a 97 buyer speed figure that day. Urban Legend and Colorado Cruiser, they finished 1-2 on opening day at Santa Anita in a maiden special weight race that Colorado Cruiser ended up winning that day, and they both got nice speed figures for that. So in his debut, he just faced a really tough group. He was way out of it early, and he closed well. Then in his second start, he was down inside of horses. He just didn't really seem comfortable. Now they'll put the blinkers on. He's a first-time gelding, and he gets Lasix for the first time. They're going to try the turf as well, and he has two winning turf siblings to mention. So now we're looking at a horse who just starts to check a lot of boxes. Here's Continental Divide, who was a turf winner. Wings of the Wind was a turf winner. So there's some turf here. Blinkers on, first-time gelding. First time Lasix, he doesn't have to have these poor of beginnings either. He can get into the race a little more early on. 
I'm using him in exotics along with the seven uncharted. I thought ran really well in that stakes race going a mile on the turf at Santa Anita on November the 3rd. And he just makes a lot of sense. He just missed second that day. Now he's going to cut back. He has tactical speed. He lost to a horse named Lord Bullingdon. And we saw Lord Bullingdon come back and win on opening day or last week at Santa Anita on the 29th of December on, uh, in the Eddie Logan. Bullingdon was impressive that day. So two, four, and seven, the top tier of horses for me in this race, ones I'll use in multi-exotics. But it, it's wide open because the three is a horse who El Rey, uh, uh, El Rey Ray was only beaten the neck last time out and wouldn't be a shock at all in here cutting back to six furlongs. The 9, 10, and 11, all to the outside. Nasso's last hurrah just did not get a good trip. Was in between horses last time out. It got caught in between and then behind. But I do love the cutback for this 9 with his running style. The 10 Island Cruiser, that debut was really good. He was a step slow. He was last early. He comes rolling late to just miss in a race when he was favored. And EJ won the cup. Super logical. I think the game plan for him should just be try to get out front and not sit off. Just get really aggressive from that outside draw. Two, four, seven for that top tier, but many other ways to go. If you like the three, nine, 10, 11, I wouldn't talk you off most of them. I'm just looking for some prices. I think the most upside with the two, I think the price in the race for me is the four and the seven fits really, really well. So I'll try to build a lot around them. The sixth race is an optional 80. It's a non-winners of two going six and a half on the dirt. I thought the morning line was pretty accurate here. Sir Atticus makes a lot of sense. This is a great spot for him. He fits really well here. He lost to Fort Bragg last time out. Uh, Fort Bragg is a very classy horse, and Fort Bragg was able to get out front, so Sir Atticus just couldn't pass him in a small field. I seem to feel like Newgate wants to go longer, and this is like a starting point and a prep for him. I think the same can be said for Ginobili, who might like a little bit longer distances than this. Maybe they want to get a race under his belt, get him fit, and then stretch him out a little more. So I'm against both the one and the five. The four is another who's in a really good spot. So I'm not giving you anything outside the box. These are the five to two morning line favorite and the two to one, no, two to one morning line favorite and five to two second choice. But Big City Lights only lost to one horse, the chosen Vron. He's lost four times to that very same horse. Big City Lights actually owns a win over Slow Down Andy, who's a grade one winner against Open Company. And Big City Lights is now going to go second start off a long, long layoff. He missed the break last time out, but he showed us he can pass horses. He fits really well in here, both the two and the four. So not, not a race where I was able to find a whole lot of value. Race number seven couple to mention in here going down the hill on the turf. I'll start with the eight diamonds Danzig. Her race on November the 2nd is the type of race I'd love to see from her in here. She was down the hill. She sat just a couple lengths off. She moved to the lead. This is a weird race to judge from a pace standpoint. I don't exactly know who's going to be on the lead or how many of these will try to be because first glance on paper, it doesn't look like there's that much speed. Boss Bride is the quickest. Then you have horses who could be sitting like Cast Member and Irresistible Force and Tickle My Fancy, Diamonds Danzig. But that's the problem. When you have four horses who could be in that next tier and a few of them have aggressive riders like Maldonado's aboard Tickle My Fancy, maybe they get aggressive. That wouldn't be that big of a surprise. 
I could see Irresistible Force trying to get aggressive because that worked well for him last time, for her last time out, going six and a half. That wasn't down the hill. That was the the, le- the straight layout. So that's what makes this one a little bit tricky, trying to handicap it. I wouldn't be shocked to see the one a lot closer early. I in no way think she'll be on the lead, but I'm going to be using her all over the place. So I'm I'm eight, one, and five as the top tier for me. That'll be all over the place. I want to make sure they're all over my tickets. The seven will be in the mix in some spots, tickle my fancy. I mentioned others like the two, three, and four. I could see all of them running well in here. It's a challenging race. Eight, one, five. I'll build a lot around in this seventh race. Eighth race is the Grade Two San Vicente, where we will see Muth as the Breeders' Cup Juvenile runner-up, making his first start of 2024. Remember, this is not a points race, but it is a race that they will use as a prep race for a lot of these three-year-olds moving towards the Kentucky Derby. Muth is projected to sit off a little bit in here. I think with Pilot Commander, who's very quick, and the two Slider, who's very quick. Those two will probably be going. Muth will like to sit behind them like he did when winning the American Pharaoh. This is a grade one winner here. From a buyer standpoint, he's hit the 90 buyer scale in all four of his races. Nobody else in this field has hit more than an 86, which was Slider. Slider's really quick. I don't know if he's going to be able to sneak away from Pilot Commander, and then he'll have to go seven furlongs as well. If I was going to use another horse in this race to try to beat Muth, I think it would be with Moonlight Sonata. I know there's been some issues with a couple of the works in the morning. I'm mainly going off of his race and hoping if we get another good effort like that in the afternoons from him, he could be competitive in this race. He'll need to step forward a little bit, but he can certainly do that, making just his second start. He was a little bit slow. He was five lengths off. He kept to the outside, and he was in the four path, then the five path. He made this big, wide, sweeping move, and he had every right to get tired and stop, but he kept going. There, if Slider and Pilot Commander hook up and Muth isn't too far out of it and they're going fast, maybe Moonlit Sonata can pick up some pieces here late. Let's race number eight, the San Vicente. Let's flip to the ninth and final on Saturday at Santa Anita. Challenging race to close things out. It's a first level allowance, optional 50 claimer, going a mile and an eighth on the turf course. The two legislator is your lukewarm morning line favorite deservedly so he had a tough trip last time out he was inside in traffic and then he had to go uh out three wide and he was really moving late and just missed don't have a whole lot of knocks on him but some other prices that are fun to include uh tesoro who's been up on the synthetic recently he did have a little bit of traffic trouble last time out i think the mile and an eighth is fine for him and uh from a class standpoint he fits with this group the five will be in the mix for me. That's Irish Prophet. He got a perfect trip last time out. Can he just get that same sort of trip? He really puts himself in a nice spot. And maybe he just is a little more bottom. Because if you look at his running lines, he would have gaps in the races, a couple months a race, couple months race. Now he's going to go third start of the form cycle. This could be his best effort. He could be fitter and maybe just have that little more punch late. Because I thought he was in a perfect spot last time out. The 12, Bogliato to the outside wouldn't shock. Another horse coming off a long layoff, though. We haven't seen this one since February. 
others in here that I wouldn't talk you off or on the radar. The eight reckless spirit hasn't been a win machine the last couple of years, but very capable at this class level. And you start going through his recent form behind seal team balladeer coming out of good races with silver surfer, the seven Maltese Falcon. He's just a little deeper of a closer recent, more recently. He needs a little help when, with dealing with traffic, but this is a great three winner just a few months back. Joel jumps aboard and he could come rolling with this one. I would not completely live him out of the mix. The six percolate. I don't like the couple months off after having a layoff. He could sit in a perfect spot here. There is not very much speed in this race. It looks like Mark's hip is going to go. Who else is going with Mark's hip? There's not much other proven speed. That's why I mentioned the 11 Tessero from the outside. I think he could tuck in pretty nicely. And, and not have to hook as wide from out there. And then the horses who you think can sit close, like the five Irish Prophet, the six Percolate, they could be horses that fall into a really nice spot. Heck, even the three, Mark's Hip, who won at fifty at the $50,000 claiming level going a mile, he has to prove he can go a little farther, and he has to prove he can do it with this group. But if they just let him out front and cruise, I'm going to throw him in a pick four or pick five on what looks like a really challenging card at Santa Anita. You have the that San Vicente that has a small field and I also and the sixth race, right? Those are the two races where you don't have the biggest fields in the world. The other races in the sequence could be really challenging though. So hopefully we can be right about one or two of those races where we can beat a favorite and not necessarily have to go to uh, go very deep and then catch some prices in the others. Good luck on Saturday at Santa Anita. Remember, every racing day at Santa Anita, we will have coverage. And Santa Anita has those Pick'em contests back. They're free to play every Saturday and Sunday. The website, pick'em.sananita.com. The combination of sports props and horse racing questions for each card. And every Saturday, Sunday, there's a $500 prize to the winner. It doesn't cost you anything to enter. Pick'em.sananita.com. Good luck on Saturday at Santa Anita. Don't forget, Clocker Report's available every racing day for Santa Anita and Gulfstream. And Santa Anita has PP's Clocker Reports and Picks. That big sale happening all through January the 8th. Take advantage right now at shop.drf.com. Good luck on Saturday. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. It's time for another edition of This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper here. Okay, Coop, I know that you are uh, wired in. I know you've got some big connections and everything. Please don't name folks that are on the Epsilon <laughs> on this show. I don't want to get caught in some bad trouble. Oh, no. I've got it. You hear it? You hear the no. sound effect, Gino? I've got okay. it right there. You got the, the list, list right there? You just made the list? You, you yeah, just I just made, made the list. list. Okay, well, I just uh, I wanted to make sure we started with that because we got a lot of ground to cover on this week in wrestling. 
Uh, Coop, last week we had actually already discussed what's going to happen tomorrow. You and I are recording this on Thursday. On Friday, they're going to have the SmackDown New Year's show, their first episode, because last week they ran a best of show. So this week it'll be the matches that they already have had listed for a few weeks, and we discussed them all last week. So if you want more uh, thoughts and analysis there, but we have Orton versus Styles versus LA Knight, winner to face Roman Reigns for the Universal Title at the Rumble. We've got EO Sky versus Meechin uh, for the Women's Championship. We've got Santos Escobar versus KO, winner gets a U.S. Title match against Logan Paul, and then we've got Pretty Deadly versus Butch and a partner. So that'll be coming up on Friday, January the fifth on SmackDown. We already discussed what we thought on that one. But uh, Coop, did you hear we had a, a return this week to uh, WWE on Monday <laughs> night? The man, The Rock, showed up, and they did such a fun job the way they teased us. They tried to hinder gender, but you know what? <laughs> I've been on this for a long time. If you're standing in the ring with a guy like The Rock, that means they trust you enough to go out there to cut your promo to do your job, to hit your marks, and Jinder played his role beautifully to set it up for The Rock to come out. Uh, they had teased that a former WWE champion would be coming back to Raw, and then they acted like it was Jinder for a moment, and of course The Rock interrupts him and comes out, and that was the big buzz coming out of Monday Night Raw. He mentioned, should I go out and sit at the bar? Should I sit in a booth? Or at the head of the table. And so everyone <laughs> is excited now because we're all thinking of Roman Reigns versus The Rock. React to this. Talk to me about this. Uh, were you expecting this on Monday night? Did you have a thought on who it might be? And uh, man, weeks after Punk, they just keep dropping these big ones on us right now in the WWE. No, I had no idea it would be The Rock, though. I think over the weekend, uh, in latter part of the week of last week, we had the big announcement that the USFL and XFL would uh, would combine. And there was Rock, of course, one of the co-owners of the XFL, you know, on the forefront of that, making those announcements. And there was a picture that came out that actually Nick Khan was in the background uh, with, with the Rocket at uh, that press conference. So, but then again, no one thought that would translate to The Rock showing up uh, Monday night on Raw. And if uh, you didn't think this guy was still over, um, when is the last time we've seen The Rock in a WWE ring in any capacity? I, I really don't know. It's, it's, it's couple, been a was while. It a couple WrestleManias ago, maybe? Was it, yeah. it was one of those Mania shows he did. Well, no, no, we saw him with, uh, was it uh, Theory? Right, he went. Theory, yeah, um, yeah, it's on SmackDown where actually Theory did a really good job with him, right? Not that long. Uh, was it like six months ago or so? Where we it was, were kind it of, was, it was. we were like, you know what? Theory did a pretty good job, like just going back and forth with him. But this, because of what was said at the end, this was more than the last few times we've seen The Rock, where he'll come back, he'll say hello, he'll pop the crowd, whoever the heel that they have in the ring with him. Sometimes we'll get a rock bottom, sometimes not even because if no, he's no, filming yeah. things and if he's got big stuff happening, they don't even risk that. But this time he teased something 
that we've never heard him actually tease before on WWE TV. And I just don't think in any way, shape, or form WWE was going to have him make that comment without The Rock being ready for a match. So now the next question is, <laughs> what what's your next step? If you have yeah. The Rock available in a match with Roman Reigns, you have to have that match. Yeah, we've been talking about that for years now, right? Every Year. WrestleMania, the march to it, we always say, okay, uh, the Rock and Roman is the <clears throat> biggest. I, I would I would say I don't care uh, what you storyline you're in. I I think you would say it too. This Rock and Roman would be probably the biggest wrestling match, and I I, I don't know how long. Especially absolutely in, in, completely agree. Know, just in decades and it's so not you would, ha- you would have to go with that Mike. you know the devil's advocate part is i mean you saw the memes you sent me one cody's what 80 and he's finishing the story poor cody you know, the, the, ne- the never-ending it, story it, they had it yeah the never-ending story um that becomes what do you do with cody rhodes um I, I mean it just number one it shows you how big of a star the rock still is you know, in any capacity, um, it, it's just, you know, you know, the rock's not going to go over on Roman reigns. Um, and then and, it's another thing where does, is this a match that needs the title because of that reason right there? Is it a match where it's predictable that he's not going to go over on Roman reigns because there's a title involved. If there's a rock versus Roman reigns match and there's no title, could the rock win that match and it'd be a little less predictable because we don't think the rock's going to be staying around for more than a month or two or the time to build up this match. I I don't know what his schedule is. You know, people are saying there's no way they could have this match at anything but WrestleMania. Well, what if the rock can't do a match at WrestleMania based on his schedule? What if he has an opening right now? Where he what has, is, uh, don't they have weeks. the elimination chambers in Australia, right? In Perth, it's a seventy thousand seat stadium. Um, when WWE was getting ready to announce where they were going to do this show, I believe Australia, like the city or the country of Australia, and like the tourism board, had, like wrote a letter and asked them if The Rock could be a part of the show. And I don't, I wonder, if, and I, I heard that it was sort of like part of the pitch. Maybe uh, from them This didn't seem to me Like it would be a small potatoes show And if The Rock showed up it definitely wouldn't So people are This would have to be at Wrestlemania No it wouldn't What if he couldn't do it at Wrestlemania You're going to tell him oh sorry Rock You want to do this match for us in February We're not going to take you now Of course not you're going to do it (laughs) And then that would make the story Could you imagine Roman beating The Rock And then Cody beating Roman right after that that makes pretty good. Cody yeah. feel like a bigger star. But what if The Rock is available for Mania and they want to do it at Mania? Then what do you do? Could could you do something like I was kind of getting at where you have Roman and The Rock in a match without the title involved? You've got Cody and like Randy Orton in a match for the title? Could that be like a backup plan for for Cody if we don't get him to have a match against Roman, could he finish the story against someone like Randy, who he has a long history with? Would that feel enough or satisfying for Cody or for us as fans watching Cody? What do you think? Man, I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. 
for Cody fans, I don't think anything is going to be satisfying until he gets uh, Roman Reigns in the ring for for the title. Um, it, I agree. It, it's difficult. This this no, is he's got to do it. This is uh, uh, that's going to do it. Would you mind? Did you, is Cody versus Randy a WrestleMania match? Um, yeah, I could see that. Is it a main event? No. Um, it, it, it's uh, right now. It feels they, like it's a consolation prize. If that if that it, were it, to be the match, it does. It, it does. It does. That would be and, a great match for Cody before WrestleMania or after WrestleMania. That would be right. a great. An elimination chamber is an elimination chamber is your final pay per view uh, in February before WrestleMania. WrestleMania the first weekend of April. Of course, two nights we will not have a pay or we uh, we wrestling fans of WWE will not have a pay per view uh, in March at all um, as we you know get closer and closer. So Elimination Chamber would be your final pay per view or PLE um, in February before you uh, you head to you really lock everything in for for WrestleMania. So you have Royal Rumble January. Um, Elimination Chamber in February, and then the first weekend of April, we have two nights of WrestleMania. So, for Cody's uh, fans' sake, uh, nothing is going to be good enough. Uh, it, it's just not. I don't care who you brought in. No Logan Paul. Um, Randy would be a fantastic match. Um, I, I don't think anything's going to satisfy that until then. Um, but, man, I just I, – I, again – if they pull this off at Elimination Chamber, bravo. Uh, you know, we still have the build to the Royal Rumble, which, as you mentioned, we have a uh, number one contenders match on SmackDown. Um, and we talked about that last week. That's who Roman's going to face uh, at the Royal Rumble. Who wins the Royal Rumble? Is it Cody? Is it, you know, is it Punk? Um, is it Sami Zayn? who's now starting to to get in the mix, and we're starting to hear some things about how big of a push that he's going to get. I'd like to see Sammy actually win the money in the bank after WrestleMania, but you've got Damian Priest with the briefcase. What's he going to do with Rollins? I, there's just a lot of things, but, man, uh, Monday night, that sh- I, I wasn't expecting The Rock, and I sh- certainly wasn't expecting for him to mention anything about Roman Reigns at the end of the table. And this really, really puts uh, a lot of us fans in tailspins because we thought what we were going to have is Cody and Roman, and now we're not so sure. Yeah. And again, it's a, it's a good problem. It's a good problem to have. To have right? right. But yeah. it's, it is a bummer. You think about it in different ways because Cody's story already got pushed last year. It felt like he was supposed to finish the story. Doesn't. Okay. It's definitely going to happen next year. And this is another reason why I'll, I will point out when you go with someone when they're hot and I'm not and Cody's not cold, off, cooled off at all or anything like that. It's it's just things happen. Now you have punk and rock in the mix and a guy like L.A. Knight jumped in the mix. Yeah. And those guys were not factors even last year, really, at all. Sami Zayn was a factor last year that we started to worry about. Sure. With Cody. Um, they're in a really nice spot right now. They opened up Monday Night Raw, and I'm, I mean, I've been critical of Nia Jax because we've had reasons to be critical of her before. She's been unsafe in the ring in prior runs in WWE. She's not someone who's going to go out there and have a five-star match all the time. 
because it's not part of her character. Her character is a big, imposing character that's a badass that's supposed to just beat you up and not really care. And they've done a fantastic job with Naya since she's returned of making her seem like a big deal, making her seem imposing, seem different than a lot of the other females and characters in the women's division. And they have her get a win over Becky in a a really good match that opens up the show here. It was about 12 minutes. It felt it felt like a fight through most of the match. Like these two women really didn't like each other and were going at it. There was a lot of intensity. And they now make Naya look really strong here. And this does a good job of knocking Becky down a peg. And as you lead into the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, she can sort of have that underdog feel to her. If you're going to have a Becky Naya something, if you're going to have a Becky Rhea something, you want Becky to be that babyface underdog. In that situation I thought this was really good And one of Nia's better outings I think this is probably uh, In my take um, Certainly I haven't seen All of those uh, matches prior But definitely um, The top one or two matches Of Nia's career in WWE It just seems like she's She came back in better shape Focused It just seems like Her previous run uh, Maybe it wasn't uh, taken as serious, maybe a little of the booking. You know, she was in a tag team. Um, it just seems like we couldn't get out of the Naya putting uh, what's her Alana through a table every week on Raw, and it's just like, or the announcers' table, and we was just like, man, this is just getting old and old. And as you said, she was she was in several matches where she injured her opponent. This was fantastic, and look, this is a this is a tough spot to be in. Not only are you opening Monday Night Raw on January the first, you're also you're going up against Game Two of the NCAA College Football Semifinals for the National Championship in a game that was really, really, really good. And Raw got a really strong rating on Monday Night, and that surprised me. I thought, okay. You know, again, going back years past, WWE would mail these type of shows in if they were live. They were going up against uh, a Super Bowl or not a Super Bowl, but going up against a big game or a big event. Uh, you didn't get that. You don't get that anymore. WWE is is full steam ahead. And Monday night was uh, was a, a, a very solid WWE Raw. Just the wrestling aspect of it. And you throw in, you know, The Rock being there as well. It was, it was just boom. But. This match, uh, fantastic. It was the right finish. It was booked correctly. Uh, it was not a work that Becky was was bo- busted open. That was legit. And, uh, I, you know, it gives us a reason to start getting behind Becky again. Not that we didn't need it, but as you mentioned, that underdog role because – you know, so much emphasis is put on the Royal Rumble, especially on the men's side. But over the last couple of years, the women have have outdid the men in their match. And I think Becky is going to be one of those final four when it gets down to it uh, for the Royal Rumble um, in the final match. But kudos to this. This is a hard spot to be in. Uh, they could have went with a uh, with with another match They could have went with an in-ring promo. Um, but these ladies set the tone for, for Monday Night Raw against uh, Texas and Washington, and it was fantastic. They did a great job, and it was, uh, in my opinion, Nia's best match in WWE. 
really good from both of these ladies. What happened after this, we had a tag match between Jay Uso and Kofi and Kaiser and Vinci. Yeah. Kofi's yeah. got a new look he's working. Have you seen this? And did you uh, see yeah. Yeah. Did you see the clip online of Cody and Kofi and Kofi said, oh, oh, everyone's finishing your story. I'm finishing my story. And then Cody interrupts <laughs> him and says, no, no, no. And there's a little more edge right now. They've got to Kofi. But what I really wanted to point out about this, in this match, there was an injury. Vinci got injured. And within seconds, the ref checked on him. They called the match off in the middle. And you know what? It was fine. Nobody freaked out. Everybody understands that there's going to be injuries that happen. They didn't try to work the rest of the match with an injury and risk even further injury. The officials looked. They called it off. They went back. No big deal. As long as nobody has a really bad injury, you know, I feel like this this wasn't bad. This could have been a lot worse. I'm pointing this out because we've seen in WWE before, they've – Guys try to work through something. If it's a, a WrestleMania main event, it's one thing, right? And I'm not going to tell you to stop a match that you're not 100% sure you're really that hurt. But in a match like this on TV that didn't have that much meaning, somebody might be injured, stop the match. We've seen AEW recently have matches where people have been hurt in the ring for minutes and the officials either didn't notice or weren't able to alert the other wrestlers. I just... I thought this was a good job of WWE stopping this. Boom. We don't want anybody to get hurt. We love watching the shows, but we're realistic. We don't want these guys and gals to get hurt. But, Gino, I thought wrestling was fake. I thought pro wrestling was fake. Oh, yeah. Right? I, I yeah. know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely the right thing to do. It was a scary moment. Um, it, it, you could tell it wasn't a work because the look on Uso's face, um, because he, I think he was just getting the hot tag, right? Uh, of coming in and um, any wrestling organization that that you're watching, whatever program it may be, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays would give you that this is what is supposed to happen. Um, and it did. And even if it's uh, something that's premature, um, you're OK with. Uh, but you definitely don't want to see someone, especially if they are showing concussion like syndromes. I mean, not only could you yourself um, get um, have a more serious situation, but you put others in risk, too, especially when it's your turn uh, to perform a move or, or what have you. And uh, just a great job all by the in-ring official, by the medical officials, uh, Kofi, everyone, um, by noticing that. Um, and I, I think everyone was pleased with that, even the – those that uh, typically don't watch WWE, this this is a, when someone gets injured like this in the ring. Um, this is one thing the wrestling community is is pretty good about is is supporting each other, and this was uh, a perfect example of that on Monday night. The segment with the Judgment Day on Miss TV, <laughs> we get our man, our truth, who, let's be honest, our truth has had really good runs. Throughout his career where he's been A big part of a, a run Or he's For a while now been the comedy guy This has probably been as Prolific of a role that he's had In a while where he's been A pretty big part of A more high Higher up the card group Than just showing up in the back in Comedy sketches and running in and matches In the 24-7 title 
he has been so funny with Judgment Day and the way that he bounces off of them. And he he's in a match now with the Miz against the Judgment Day guys that basically goes like a comedy match, but it's fine. It wasn't too sticky. Our truth is the comedy guy. I thought this was fun and funny. It did a, you having Dominic and JD there, they're the types of guys that can lose in this spot, and it's fine because that's part of their character. And the Miz and our truth pick up a victory here. And uh we actually have um no, we actually have the Miz and this babyface run going pretty well. The crowd's been been good with him, Coop, and this is Honestly, the first time that he's been really well received as a babyface. They've tried it one or two other times, and it just didn't stick. Yeah, it's been a while since uh, he's had a uh, a babyface run that uh, wasn't like a an in between type. Was he heel or was he a face? You know, depending on who he was working or what where they threw him into. You know, they you, the stuff with Logan Paul was fantastic, um, and then it just he he's become one of those guys that is super over right now and this is what you want with any of your superstars uh, especially if it's really really organic because we used to hate the Miz it's just from day one he he came in and just butchered everything this kid's not taking anything serious but now that he's 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 turned into a a pretty big baby face and again, you want this type of stuff heading into the Royal Rumble because this is a story that you could tell. Is the Miz going to win the Royal Rumble? No, he's not. But would you be surprised if he has a pretty good run in the Royal Rumble and throwing some people in and out? Absolutely not. Our truth man, what can you say? Um, the guy is just fantastic. Um, you know, you remember a couple of years ago, we thought we were getting a match, a Mania match with him and Cena. You know, he was just doing this shtick with Cena. Um, and even before that, let's go back to the little Jimmy days where he had his, uh, you know, invisible best friend, little Jimmy. It's just fun. And I'm okay with with JD and Dominic losing in this match. Um, it, it was su- them supposed to lose. It, again, it's showing this crack in the foundation of uh, Judgment Day. And Rhea wasn't out there. So it's, you're, you know, she's not technically on the losing side of it and i think that it helps the story i am wondering what we're going to do with uh damian priest and this cash in i think we're going to find out here pretty soon i think he's going to cash in uh you know relatively soon whether it's a successful or unsuccessful cash in not sure on that because again after mania uh i think you have one pay-per-view in May and then June or July, we we go with money in the bank. So we're about halfway through the process of one person holding this money in the bank briefcase. So with some big events coming up, um, some big Raws coming up, um, you know, this doesn't have to be cashed in on uh, a PLE. You because know, it, it would be cashed in on a Raw. You know, I will say, man, it the fan in me doesn't want this, but as far as telling. A story I, yeah. that makes sense. If either Punk or Cody win those titles, he could cash in right after or the next day. That would be well, brutal. I, I, right? I thought if he doesn't cash in this bat lap this this Monday, going into Monday night with Drew versus Seth, I thought 
man, Drew's going to win this title, and they're going to screw I it over. I did, too. I did, too. Damian Priest's going to come in there, and, you know, Priest pins a, a heel. Um, he starts his turn, and I said, well, if he doesn't do it Monday night, then the next big option would be if, you know, if Seth's not defending that title at the Royal Rumble, and Roman is. I'm not saying that that PLE doesn't have two two big titles on the line, but if he doesn't, the the next thing would be uh, your options are Elimination Chamber or uh, WrestleMania, and I would think WrestleMania would be would be the perfect spot for for that to get uh, cashed in at. So something's coming. Uh, we we've got our first real tease, you know, a real good tease here. What week before last on Raw? Uh, Priest coming in there, or, or no, this past Monday on Raw, we got our first big, so something is coming, I just thought it would be sooner rather than later, but man, yeah, that would that would be something if he cashed in on Punk or uh, or Seth. Cody, Cody I, I is, see Seth, look, oh yeah, Cody wins, oh, yeah, I Cody can see beats Seth going Roman. Over. Oh yeah, Seth, go, Seth going over and then him cashing on Seth, or Cody beats Roman, he's celebrating, he's telling the story, <laughs> and then here comes Priest and the Judgment Day. And they well, jump if in. you want ultimate heat, um, oh my god, that would be it. Turn priest, baby. Uh, that oh would my be god. it. That'd be nuclear. That's oh nuclear. wow! But so, something's something's coming with this briefcase, and it's it, going to be a cash in. I just don't know if it's going to be successful or not. But I think it's it, coming pretty soon. I think. But it might not be hotter than it was in the club with Katana Chance and Caden Carter when they were and then we got Piper and Chelsea go in there and Chelsea just when Chelsea's in a skit any sketch it's just fantastic she she understands the the pro wrestling acting and the dynamic and how you got to overact a little bit and lay it on you know she. She just gets it, and she's always got it from Impact. She was good there with her character work, and she just was unlucky in WWE for a while in NXT. She just kept getting hurt. We never got to (laughs) see her for a long period of time where she got to do character work like this. I think think this has been good for everybody because Chelsea and Piper – Chelsea's the type of character that doesn't need to win often right now as a heel. She needs to just be on TV in matches, getting her character over, getting her personality over. We mentioned this last year. I think 2024 is going to be a really big year for her. I could absolutely see her being someone that's a money in the bank winner. And I was just reading as you and I are recording this, that that might be the the announcement from Triple H, money in the bank. Um, Okay. Announce the next, like a big show where it's going to come. Because Triple H does I have an announcement it, yeah, today. I, I think they it's announced. Um, I think it or it leaked because I saw Chelsea. Um, it's in Canada. It's gonna be in. Uh, it's gonna be in Canada, and that's where Chelsea's from. So if hey, look, man, you, you want some? You, you want an early long shot betting angle? Uh, put some money on 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 Chelsea because well, you Chelsea, talk about you mentioned Sammy briefcase. Yeah, Sammy would be right now the guy that that uh, I would make the favorite that's who i would put money on i just think that he's getting ready for a super big push um but on the women's side look we talked about these women tag team championships that's just been underwhelming it doesn't matter who the belts have been on um it just it was it was underwhelming since the announcement we really didn't take it too serious but kudos to chelsea and piper for for changing that they get a rematch next week and uh, that division is fun again. 
and it, it, a lot of it has to uh, compliments of Chelsea and Piper. So uh, uh, kudos. And the little sketch thing with Katana and it's corny, but at least they're giving them a, something now. Yeah. Now, now yeah. we know a little bit more about them than two girls that come in the ring and have a quick match. So put the time in, keep building these characters. What is showing for Ivy Nile? This was a great match for Ivy Nile. Match. She did not beat Rhea Ripley, but she looked good. In there was one spot a few minutes into the match where it looked like she was trying to catch Rhea, and she was a little off balance, and she almost fell over, but she caught herself, and she made it look real. And that was a spot in the match that I was thinking this could go one way or the other. She could maybe lose her confidence because that didn't go as clean as she wanted. But instead, it was like nothing. She just went right through. They had a, a really nice match. It went 13 minutes. We've never, we didn't even get to see Ivy Nile have matches like this on NXT. This was a huge no. spot that they put her in. And she did really, really well when she has not been in big moments. Like this was by far the biggest moment she's ever been in. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many situations have wrestlers, superstars, uh, been brought up from NXT and put in this spot so quickly? Uh, not very many, um, especially on the on the women's side of things. I thought, you know, this could be another glorified squash match, uh, squash match for Rhea, but they got a lot of time and it was really good. And for this short period of time over the last couple of years, I don't, I don't. You know, I think I, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think Ivy came into the performance center with a a any noticeable amounts of professional wrestling experience. No, um, I could be no. completely wrong, but I do not remember that when she was put uh, with the Creed brothers. Um, it's just been again. That's why it's always been fun to to stick with NXT and watch some of these young superstars, you know, work their way up to the rank. But if you don't think this girl, this she has um, uh, a spot on this roster now, then uh, you may want to start watching other things because uh, she belongs and her she may rework for every bit of it. And uh, yeah, and I was going to reference that spot you brought in, and that that could have. Not only ruined the match, that could have ruined her run. Because a lot of times people don't recover. They they don't recover quickly. They haven't been in that situation before. And then so you don't get very many spot. other chances. And you don't get a lot of chances, man. You don't get a lot of chances on the big stage. But, uh, hey, look, we're talking, we're into, how many minutes were you into Raw? And we're, we've, we've talked about two women's matches that have been outstanding Again, you just didn't get this stuff in previous WWE. You you just didn't you didn't get it. And it's no. you know, you, you can nitpick and say you don't like punk. Um Romans, you don't like Roman, Logan Paul's a champion, he's never there. I, I see arguments for that, and I, I couldn't say that you're wrong. The one thing you can't say is they don't treat the women fairly as as well as the, the male roster because Brother, let me tell you, if you get signed to the WWE and uh, you're in the uh, in the women's locker room, they they have you have it because they like your chances. And, and again, Ivy Nile, you, and it was just uh, last month she was in uh, she was at Booker T's Reality of Wrestling in Houston. 
work, working the show on the weekend. So I'm just telling you, um, th- there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of talent when you look at WWE roster from top to bottom to NXT. But uh, we're, we're talking two women's matches in the first half of Raw that just were outstanding. And then the build they did with the the women's tag segment. And then they have Shayna and Zoe win a match. And they're building them to be a nice tag team coming up. We've talked about the, the building of the Kabuki Warriors with Asuka and... Kyrie Sane on SmackDown. Now all of a sudden you've got a few of these tag teams. I, we're gonna get to NXT in just a second. I actually think that they might be able to to do something really fun with Fallon, uh, with Fallon and Tiffany um, too. And we can get to that in a second because <laughs> we're just about to finish up with Monday Night Raw, where they ended with an awesome World Heavyweight Championship match, oh, and it looked like Drew was going to win because Priest comes down with the briefcase. We start getting all the 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 chaos there and Drew hits Rollins with Rollins with a claymore and he covers and I really thought that was it but when he covers him he pulls the leg he hooks the leg so much that Rollins leg comes over his own head and his foot hits the ropes it was a perfect spot we've seen it done a few times through the years something just like that I think it was a spot with Neville in NXT years back when he was trying to win that title and this was well done. My only question is, where do you go with Drew now? Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I don't. I, I don't have an answer for that. Is that, is that um, Sammy? Is that because he put Sammy out? What I would have sure, rather sure. had, though, was Sammy screw him out of this title. That would have been a better. Yeah. If Sammy's ready, you've got him interfere in this match, him beat up Drew. And that leads to a little more heat between the two of them. Right now, it feels like, oh, Drew lost that match, and then he has a, a feud with Sammy. I just feel like it seems that we've had too many clean losses for Drew, even with the character change now recently, because I just don't know where you go with him. Yeah, you can't run this back at Royal Rumble, Drew. It's got to be something and, different. Uh, There's got to be a third in there somewhere, right? Yeah, Um uh, there would be a third and it, it, unless you do, do a version of a cash in where, Hey, I'm cashing this in for a match that's coming up. That wouldn't seem very organic either. So, man, I don't know. And Drew's probably somebody you got to have in the rumble. You know, he's one of those guys that, you know, could he win the Royal rumble? I don't know. Is he a money in the briefcase type guy? I don't know. Could, yeah, this, could you end up I having a we, match? With Priest with someone where he loses the briefcase to someone. Could that be a thing at this point with a Drew? Yeah, we talk about that. It just for some reason we never see those. Not anymore. I, I, they I, used to do them more. And they do them in other least, they do them in other companies. They've done it with in, yeah, in impact yeah, with the well, briefcase. Contract. Yeah. Oh yeah. New like Japan like all the time. That. They put me too. They put the the title shot on the line. Um so for this next uh, week coming up, Cody versus Shinsuke. Chance and Carter versus Chelsea and Piper for the women's tag team titles and CM Punk returns. That's how you know your company is on fire right now. You don't <laughs> even have to have Punk out there every week. And nobody was no. even asking, oh, where's Punk? Why wasn't Punk out there? Oh, yeah, because you had The Rock and <laughs> the Rock world championship matches on the yeah. show. And then another really good women's grudge match to kick off the show that was one of Nia's Better matches ever. So a 
very good episode of Monday Night Raw that just felt big. It felt buzzworthy. And not to try to denigrate and downplay AEW all the time. Because I would say the same thing about NXT or Impact or something else. WWE has some of these big stars that they have on Raw and SmackDown. Nothing else can compare to that. You can have matches that are five stars versus four or three and a half. But when The Rock's out there and Punk and Cody and these guys and gals are all over, you have Becky Lynch, you have these new women coming up. Rhea Ripley is one of the most over on either roster. Dominic Mysterio gets booed out of every building that he's <laughs> oh, in. That nuclear. Um, it, that was a big show on Monday. It just and, felt and look. It's it, hard. It it, look, it's hard. It's it's really hard to get tickets now to WWE live events. It is. They're selling out house shows. Look, Madison Square Garden a couple of weeks ago, the night after Christmas. What they were in your neck of the woods at the Kia Forum um, last week sold it out. I, I, it's just throwing fire, and a lot of it has to do with the storytelling. When you get us so involved, where it's must see TV. We're going to watch it as opposed to, oh, okay, that rep match is probably going to be a good wrestling match. But when when, when you have a lot lots at stake in something, it's just it's more meaningful. And I think that's why you and I have both been so vocal about AEW stuff. Let's get to NXT where I will be a little negative about overall. I didn't love what they did with the Trick Williams, Ilya Dragunov stuff, and I'm kind of confused by it right now because I don't think Ilya's really hurt. It, I right, think right. they were selling the the Ilya Dragunov injury as part of a storyline, and it felt like that was part of the story because then Trick could beat a little bit of a banged-up Dragunov. That, it, that could even be something that, Gets between Carmelo and Trick. Carmelo's mad that Trick beat Dragonoff and Dragonoff, and you know Carmelo says, "Oh, he wasn't even a hundred percent though." And that sort of gets between them. But they tell us on the show that Dragonoff is hurt; he's not able to wrestle. Now, if I'm wrong and he is truly hurt, I apologize because you can't do anything about that, right? You're not going to send the guy out there hurt. If this was part of just the storyline. They had a they had an interaction last week between the two of them where they didn't tease any possibility of this not being a match. It wasn't like he got attacked recently. This seems like they almost messed up on something with the tape delayed some of these recorded shows. And I I didn't like this. I, I don't like promoting it. I would have preferred they told us earlier in the day on social media, hey, we're gonna have a change later. It just it felt a little bit of a bummer because it did feel like things were leading to trick winning the title here. And now as a fan, it reminded me when AEW did the thing with MJF where they were going to act like he was going to not defend the title at the end. Adam Cole was, and I, I gave them crap for it. I didn't like it watching this show. It felt weird to me that I, I, I didn't know about it before. Or then I kept asking, is this real? Is this part of a storyline? They gave us a switch and if we would have just had this match booked with Trick Williams versus Grayson Waller, it would have been fine if that was your initial match. But because we felt like it was a title match and then you put Grayson in there instead, it to me it felt down deflating because I was really excited for Trick on this show. Yeah. I do you think the the storyline with him and Carmelo has gone on too long and we need the next chapter? Are you saying that's what maybe should have happened over these tape shows or 
me, I, I more don't. I'm not understanding what they're doing with Dragonoff. Why isn't he? Why wasn't he wrestling? If he's if there's, he's there's, really there's healthy, definitely. Yeah, why would they? There's, if, there's, or why even book? Might be why, and, and so that that must be it. Because why would you even book this as your title match? What it, he didn't get attacked in the middle of the show. That's the thing that bothers me too. If it's something that sure, happens sure. during the show, so we can understand it more. Now, I'll give that my gripe. I will say the Carmelo and Trick stuff. I don't. I want it to be sped up a little bit, but I'm. I'm still interested. I'm still intrigued in it, and I do think it'll lead us to a big Trick versus Melo blow off, or a big two out of three with these guys, where maybe they end up hugging it out at the end, and. They can move on or Carmelo can come up Or however they want to do that But I think a few weeks ago It, it almost seems like with all of this Ridge, Holland, Ilya, Dragunov stuff I think they don't. They didn't have it Completely figured out at the beginning They mentioned Big E And the getting hurt stuff It was I didn't really love it I thought what they did with Ridge, Holland this week Was fantastic I thought this was the best yeah. I've ever seen from Ridge, Holland they sort of tweaked the way they were presenting it to Coop, where it wasn't as much of, oh, Ridge is this awkward guy in a ring and he hurts people. It was more of, we've all had these injuries to deal with and what it does for you mentally when you have an injury like this or you get somebody injured and now you got it, you know, you have to deal with it. You have to come back from that. I like this approach. I think they have something here with Ridge that they can. Keep building on so Positives on that not Exactly sure what they're doing with Dragunov Um I do think Trick Is super over though and he feels like he's got To win this thing soon right Yeah uh, unless they're both Being him and Carmelo are both being brought up Together um yeah I, I don't know if you really need that The only, the only yeah. thing is I would I would ask You and I felt this way You know watching Braun Breaker At the end of the show because uh, that was a goofy segment. I kind of laughed at it, even though it was really awkward with Corbin and, and uh, uh, Braun Breaker. Corbin asks Braun to be his tag team partner. Braun kind of shrugs him off, and then he says, "Okay, I will." I'm watching you know, the Rock show back up. I'm watching CM Punk come in. We're worried about Cody getting pushed down the card. Right now, is there a lot of room for? Carmelo and Braun no, right, probably this, not. right this moment and that, and that might be why they haven't brought him up Because do you wait till after Mania to When some of these stories are, are done And maybe people take a little time off Again a good problem to have But it's pretty bloated up on the, the main roster right now Yeah I want to see uh, Once the 30th entrant uh, into the Royal Rumble, uh, I'd like to see how many NXT stars are actually in this, um, uh, as opposed to WWE's. You got to remember, for every person um, that in, uh, an NXT uh, superstar comes up um, and is an entrant into the Royal Rumble, that's a spot on the roster that that could have been filled with someone else. So that's what I'm curious to see if Braun or Carmelo or if neither, and it's all just WWE and we, you know, bring in a legend type gimmick guy that can come in and work a little bit and get thrown out. I'll be anxious to see at, you know, that match 
And I think that'll tell us a lot. Um, if you see a couple of NXT superstars in that Royal Rumble, you know, bronze one. Um, Ron and Mello feel like the ones. One. Maybe a dragon off. The, the two. What What did you think about Kevin Owens getting involved in that match? I liked it. Are you okay with it? I liked okay. it. I thought it, it continued storyline, and I liked the fact that they've been doing that and keeping things consistent from Raw to NXT to SmackDown and feeling like they're not completely separate hey, how, worlds. How, it, you, you, you talk about loaded. How good? And he was just in NXT. How good is Grayson Waller? Waller. I mean, seriously. Is, let, let, let's just let's be honest. This guy is is he's you, he's a star. He's one of those that you just see. It's not about if; it's just when for him. Yeah, he will be it's oozing. It's there. He will be farther and farther up the card as things go on, and. um I thought the women's title match here we had Blair versus Lyra solid. I just but haven't, I, yeah, it, I have nothing wrong with it again. Just week by week, I told you, I just I haven't been sold on her since her, she winning the title from Becky same, Lynch. Same sort of is, thing is missing. It's yeah. nothing's bad. There's just not that, oh, this is my top of the division world championship feel or aura quite yet with and her. And you know what, Gino, it, again. We 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 we're consistent on a couple of things since we started doing this week in wrestling. And the one thing I think you and I have harped on the most that probably listeners get tired of us talking about is the chase to get the title is fascinating and so fun to watch. The hardest part about it is not getting what, there. What do you do next? What do you do after? And we've seen it. We've seen it with Liv. We've seen it on the big stage, and it just hasn't Big E, Brian, Daniel Bryan, you know, all no, these it, guys and gals. Yeah, the list goes on and on who are who are fantastic professional wrestlers. And, you know, I'm more interested in Cora Jade. I'm more interested in Tiffany well, the, Fallon. And, oh, Fallon and Tiffany feels like that's the main women's the, program yeah, right now. And sure, they're, they're, sure. they're lucky and, in NXT yeah, they, that they have another big program, but it doesn't. It between the match was fine, was solid. I actually didn't think Blair got enough here in this match to make yeah, it yeah. make you care a little bit more. And then after the match, it it's fine. They've got a storyline set up. It looks like with Lola Vice, she was going to come in and cash in her contract. Tatum Paxley, who's the stalker, she stops her. <laughs> I, this is fine. Again, though, it it feels like. Okay, this is to me like a B minus C plus sort of a thing. It doesn't feel like it's an A what you'd want from no, your no. your top women's programs. So, um, fine. Want to see a little bit more from this? The no quarter catch crew: Drew Gulak, Damon Kemp, and Miles Bourne against the LWO. In this match, Holy we cow, saw <laughs> we're Joaquin Wild. The former DJ Zima Ion and from a from Impact, he he was on the second rope and he was facing outside of the ring, so facing the aisleway, and he had both Carlito who was there and then Cruz del Toro, and they were on opposite sides of him, and they. Grabbed the ring rope, the middle ring rope, and helped to launch him. It kind of reminded me of uh, I. Somebody else said this. I can't remember who or where. 
when you're on a trampoline and you get double bounced, you know, by the person oh, yeah, next yeah, to you and they, yeah. or you, sure. I do this with Milo all the time. We just got him a, a small, <laughs> like a little mini trampoline. That's got the, the net around it and you can have two people yeah. go on it at most. And so I'll go on it with there. We play crack the egg and stuff like that, where I'll try to bounce him. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, yeah. This is what it reminded me of. I have never seen a person off a move like this, get as much air, uh, all over social media, of course, because somebody said that's the, the highest I've ever seen a person in a wrestling match in North America. And then they were showing the spot from Lucha underground where Angelico was like on the top of the building and he ran off the top and leaped, oh, which yeah. was cool. He did that running and jumping off a spot that was above another. I think that was a little different, but this, I don't think I've seen many things like this spot, Chad. This was, this was no. unbelievable. I don't know if you could practice that 30 times. One or two, maybe you would get that spot where it was it's perfect. And this is live, pal. I thought of that. Yeah, like, this how, is live. How'd you even come up with this? How did they even I, have yeah. the idea for this? Did you accidentally have this happen where you're just messing around there? Because you can't try this a few times and it not yeah. work. Yeah, because if you try it 30 times and it doesn't work, but once or twice, you're not going to get the okay to book this into the no. match, right? Um, <laughs> it, it was unbelievable. And if you didn't watch NXT and you're on social media, you you may have seen it. If you haven't, go watch this spot. It, it's so worth the, the, the time. You, you will watch it over and over again. Not only was the match fun, but this, you know, I, I like the way Carlito, you know, has been brought back to the WWE. I like that he's down in NXT with some of these guys working. He's got the Apple gimmick again, and people are starting to see it for the first time and appreciate it. Maybe they've heard about it, and they're new wrestling fans, and they're just watching NXT or, what, or WWE for the first time. You see a, a guy with the spit in the face of the people who you don't think is cool. He's still doing that. It was really, it was a really fun match. It was, it was definitely the highlight of the show. For sure, because that that spot probably will not be duplicated ever no. again. If it is, it won't be done that well. That was a blast. Roxanne yeah, Perez picks up a win over Ariana Grace, but after the match, she <laughs> wouldn't let go of the submission, so they reversed the decision. They're trying to get Roxanne to be a heel here. I don't know if that's going to work. I, I like, I like with the yeah. edge. I don't, I like her being a little more aggressive. I don't know if she's going to work as a heel. Ariana Grace's character is great. She's, she's got the character stuff locked down there. So Roxanne's been one that I don't know how well they've handled overall. She's well, good. And what's it? Yeah. And what's interesting, Gino is we've got Cora who came back, who looks completely better. different, right? A lot the better change. Yeah. Better. And she's working Cora in a match, or excuse me, she's working Roxanne in a match next week. I saw kind of Cora out of nowhere. The heel here, yeah. And you know, and I, they've I, got I, such I, a a history. Wouldn't you have thought that that was a build to match down the line? So Roxanne has the tools. We know that um, she's really really good in the ring. It's just she's been this. And this, what she is in real life, she's a super nice person. Just, uh, but she kind of seems like the baby, the third sister to me, right? If you have a, a group of sisters, she's kind of the one, like, hey, I want to go to the concert, or hey, I want to go to the mall too, or whatever. She's I don't know if she needs to be in a faction or what, 
but if she pulls this gimmick off where she can be a, a heel and it turns out that that was the move, then then kudos. I, this this is a tough spot, I think, to be in because she's been so over as this young kid in professional wrestling. Maybe you know? she can just be like really cocky and it'll go for her if she flips the opposite yeah, way and say, yeah. I'm the, I was the yeah. prodigy, I'm supposed to be this. And maybe she can even pull things from a Sasha Banks Inspiration, you know, just act like I'm yeah. the best. That's what I'm I'm doing here. We then got the oh, we got a little look at Ava, and they did exactly what I wanted. Just hey, I'm helping Shawn Michaels. Cool. Let us know. She's still got to get better though. She's she's raw for sure. You can see why I'm sure she wasn't ready in the ring, and she definitely is not 100 comfortable yet, even on the mic. But this will get her good reps, and at least we all understand now. And she's not going to have to do a ton of heavy lifting. It's just going to be help set matches up and help get her comfortable on the mic. So simple. They told us that she's got she has a role now, and we got a little interaction between Nikita Lyons and Blair. Man, forget about Nikita. She's I know, right? Coming back and. She's someone who has big star power. Then we got the Fallon versus Tiffany Stratton match. Loser is a ranch hand or a servant. And Tiffany (laughs) gets the win in nine minutes. It was intense. It wasn't as much of a match. It was more of a fight between these two. And now we're going to get great segments of Tiffany in the mud, milking the cows, with the pigs <laughs> doing stuff That's what we wanted on yeah. the farm i i think this was the i can't again i can't I can't pull it i and, and it was a good idea i would love for this to be a way that they turn tiffany babyface if okay t- tiffany actually likes the hard work she's never had to do hard work in her life before you know she's always been given everything now she's out there with Fallon, and she's actually kind of good at it. And then after she's done, Tiffany shows back up and tells Fallon she wants to work, do more work on the ranch. And they and she's they're maybe a team with the Dusty Cup coming up. I don't even know if that's a thing for the women if they're going to have that. Somebody pitched that. That's, that's I, a, that'd be a great idea. I thought that was great, and it, it would be a way because the crowd. Wants to like Tiffany And when Tiffany becomes a, a baby face Crowds will get behind her Because she's so good in ring And she's a good yeah. character too I could see her twisting it And then she shows up In you know her own like <laughs> Costume and her own little sexy Cowgirl gimmick that she's got going And okay Fallon let's do this I, I didn't I had never thought about that before And I heard it And I, I, I actually thought it was pretty funny So there's a lot of ways they can go with this and how many different incredibly talented women have we just talked about in the last one hour between Ooh. Raw and the matches they have set up on NXT and now SmackDown. Hey, I'll, say got- this. I'll, I'll say this, Gino, and we'll, we'll get to it momentarily, but AEW got a good one. AEW's got they a got one. a fantastic star in the women's division in Deanna Perrazzo as um yeah, we had the interview with Ridge Holland. We talked about that. Oba Femi, he looks good, dude. This this guy, he's I like got a, that. I like, yeah. He's got a look. It was just a little weird to me the way they booked this tournament because he, I think he's the most deserving winner based on 
who could be a big star and potential and he was just one of the few that that didn't he didn't have a story at all. You had Lexus yeah. King in here who they've been building and they've had a story. You had Riley who has the story with Chase U. Chase but U. O- yeah. Femi gets the win and and that's fine. He's he's someone who has a great look and he just continues to get better and better. Um, don't we have a, a out of that match? Don't we now have a new leader of Chase U? And now it is <laughs> JC, right? Is it JC yeah. the new leader? She makes the decisions now because <laughs> she told Andre that Riley and Duke are going to be in the uh, in the Dusty Cup. We got a yeah. little more interaction with Tia Hale and Riley Osborne backstage. Uh, a couple other segments, one with Bronco and Lucian with scripts. They're going to have a tag team title match for with Tony and Channing Stacks next week. So just continuing to build a few things up here and there. Kiana James had a segment in the back. We saw Carmelo and Trick talk more about the main event match. Frazier and Axiom were backstage. They're going to be in the Dusty Cup, it looks like. So they had these teams continuing to get built up. We probably have Carmelo and Trick, right? And maybe that's yeah, where something goes wrong with the two of them. Yeah, really they can't wrong win it. Yeah, they in can't there. Win it. Well, I, they don't, I, look, I I don't know if they should win it, but I'm intrigued by Baron and Braun. I do. They they need I, to be I, in I, I, the final, right? Did they, they have to be in the finals? Was it Samoa Joe? It, but it was Joe and Baron Corbin that were in one of these together as a tag okay. team in the Dusty Cup, like the first one. Oh so, yeah, was Samoa yeah, Joe yeah, yeah. and Baron Corbin. They were a tag team together in this. Um, so I, I like the pairing of those two. Next week, Tony D and Stax versus Prince and Nima. Dusty Rhodes Classic begins. GG versus Cora. There we go. We were building that That's one up. GG. Yeah. yeah, GG. I don't know why I, I mentioned. Um, we were talking uh, about Roxanne. Sorry, but, yeah, Roxanne. Um, yeah, GG is GG's back. And then we got a trick getting the win over Grayson. Solid episode. Of NXT and many positive things moving forward. Just curious about what is actually going on with uh, Ilya Dragunov there. We move to AEW to finish up the week. It feels like the way wrestling is moving so fast and with a big Monday Night Raw, it feels like this AEW pay per view that was on Saturday feels like it was two months ago. It just, yeah, it, 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 no. It, and it didn't make matters any better because it was it was literally their worst. And it was. Hey, we all laughed at Tony Khan for saying, "Hey, look, this this website that I had never heard of before, Cage Match, gave their Ring of Honor matches all this. They crapped on that pay per view. They said it was the worst AEW, and I agree, it was the worst. It was the worst booked. Couple pre-show matches. You had Willow will get a win over Statlander. Kill Switch wins a battle royal. So that was relevant because Kill Switch, yeah. who's Luchasaurus, he wins a battle royal to get a future AEW TNT championship match. And then later on the card, you have Copeland Edge beat Christian, win the TNT championship, and then Luchasaurus walks out and gives Christian his contract. And Christian wins it right back in 11 seconds. <laughs> it, it was a heel move. Again, I I love the work Christian's doing here. So this is one of these conflicting things where Christian, I think, is doing a fantastic job. He just doesn't need Kill Switch, Shayna Wayne, 
Nick Wayne in this story with Adam Copeland. It to me feels like Christian in this world, and then you've got Edge from ten years ago. I just it doesn't. I'm not connecting with this at all. Yeah, and you can't go back to Copeland Christian for a while now, right? And what do you do with Copeland? I mean, he wasn't on last night on Dynamite. I mean, Christian gave a great promo. I'll give that. I, I love the line where he said, you know, I, I have one person I'd like to thank. And everybody thought he was going to thank Luchasaurus, who was in the ring with him. He goes, I'd like to thank myself, me. But it was good. I, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where you go with it. But just a weird booking. Very hillish, but just very weird for for Copeland not to win that title and keep it. Especially for that collision show on Saturdays. So uh, we had an eight-man tag with Blackpool Combat Club and all the all the wrestlers that were in the Continental Classic that weren't in the final. Good match, just a big tag match. Miro beats Andrade, and now looks like Andrade is headed to WWE. This match never really got into second gear because I think with Andrade leaving, that was the thing oh, they that got buried. Yeah, right. That was real. You have. Tony Storm getting a win over Riho. Okay, here's something that I heard Wade Keller mention a lot on the PW Torch podcast last night. This is a perfect microcosm of one of my big problems with AW. And if WWE does it, I get mad too. You've got Tony Storm, who right now they are booking as a heel, but her act is completely a babyface act. It's over, right? Her everybody's yeah. cheering for her. Everybody loves the gimmick that she has. You don't have to have her be a complete baby face. You don't have to have that happen. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to put her in the ring with other baby faces that you like or you're trying to build because then the crowd has no idea what to do. It hurts your other baby faces. So this is a perfect example. This doesn't do anything for Riho. This doesn't help Riho at all. You put her in a match where people want to cheer. The heel and and it's fine if they do want to cheer cheer her so then put her against heels so that the heels don't get cheered so that tony will get cheered this is exactly what they did with the main event of dynamite last night you've got swerve strickland who is a heel but is getting cheered like crazy it's also weird because you've got swerve who they come out they do the nana dance which everybody loves so am i supposed to cheer or boo this guy i don't know <laughs> Because I want to do the dance when he comes out, right? Nana's doing the dance, and I'm <laughs> doing it, and Swerve feels like a star. He was at the Jags game, I think, last week or two weeks ago, and he came out, and he was doing the, the dance Swerve was himself. So that's fine. Swerve is getting over. I want him to be a big star. I want him to win the title. But why would you put him against another babyface that you're trying to turn babyface, Daniel Garcia? They're literally trying to make this guy a babyface right now. They had him go through the whole tournament, have a bunch of these close losses. He still got the dance thing too. So now I'm not going to cheer Daniel Garcia over Swerve. That's a terrible no. spot to put him in. Yeah, you got to do better it, with God, this. You, you got to read the room. Um, you, and I know Tony Khan came out after Dynamite and cut this promo. You know, uh, that you're going to be seeing a lot more of this guy in 2024. You shouldn't have to even tell us that. You shouldn't have to be uh, – we don't need to be hand-fed uh, like mama bird to baby bird. Um, 
but the spot that he was put in, he's not going to go over. Even if he would have beat Swerve, I think people would have been pissed off. It's just not a good spot to put that guy in at all, at all. I also heard an, another great point. On this show, we've got Julia Hart versus Abaddon for the TBS championship, and then we have Tony Storm versus Rio for the women's world title. What what differentiates the two of them or the two divisions? When you heard I heard it presented in a different way. Could you imagine in the NFL if they just arbitrarily said, "Well, this group is going to play for the Super Bowl and this group's going to play for the not Super Bowl, <laughs> but a it, it, why? Why is this group never interact with this other group? It's not as yeah, if on Raw right. they're on Raw and on SmackDown they're on SmackDown. That's why they're on two different shows. Well, I think. Well, let me let me give you my opinion on that. That's where they dropped the ball with Jade Cargill. Yep. When she had that title, that's when those two should have clashed and met at some they point. Kept it separate, and we begged for them to be begged for Jade to be put in, on on that. AEW women's world title, whatever they call it, in, in that picture, and they failed to do it, and now this title seems meaningless. It does. It, it, it does. It, no. does. it seems you lesser. Gotta, you, it, it, it's, merge the titles right now. It doesn't make any sense. You have For them to have no. two women's titles because they don't have enough women's matches on their TV shows for them to make us believe they need two divisions. Completely different on... WWE. Again, where do you think? Do you think, Gino? Do you think Diana's going to show up and say, you know, I want Julie Hart? Do you think uh, Sasha Banks, aka Mercedes Monet, do you think she's going to show up and say, I want Julie Hart? No, no, Never. not at all. And I just don't think the two titles are needed at all. On the pay per view, you had Chris Jericho teaming up with Sammy Guevara <laughs> on a team named Les Sex Gods. On the night when Chris <laughs> Jericho was accused of sexual assault, there's allegations that came out, things that have happened over the last few years. Then people that have known Jericho, he was getting ripped on some podcasts by former wrestlers that were in the locker room with him. One of them said, what's the comment? They said he, they, they were told that Chris Jericho will always go after your girlfriend uh, on a video that we were watching. So there was a lot of bad out there about him. Crowd was chanting NDA when Jericho was in the ring. And it's an eight-man tag match. But following this, we don't see Chris Jericho on Wednesday. I, I wonder, it doesn't seem like it's a coincidence, especially on a night where Wednesday, Brian Danielson was in Japan. You didn't have Kenny Omega. He's hurt. MJF is Selling the storyline I think that he's hurt You were missing a lot of star power On that show You probably could have used Chris Jericho But he was not there On Wednesday night And I have no idea what Comes out of this moving forward But the crowd was letting him have it And that may be why he wasn't there Because that sort of can hijack your show If you've got plans for a segment And you, you send him out there And the crowd wants to tear him apart Maybe they're going to wait till this story blows over, or if it does blow over, I don't know. But it did, he had to mention that he wasn't there. Absolutely. I mean, again, um, a very difficult talk, uh, topic to discuss. Um, 
Because we don't know any facts. No, we don't know any that, facts. That there hasn't been any facts. But you're supposed to be the company that it's going to be more transparent than ever before. And, uh, you know, you're in a post-pay-per-view scrum where it finally gets brought up at the end of the scrum about it. And what disappointed me, I'm not expecting him to come out and say, Chris Jericho is being suspended. We're firing him. I'm not advocating for any of that. But what he advocated was Tony Khan was this is the safest locker room on the planet. Well, dude, wasn't how long ago were you fearing for your life? Because someone was after you in the locker room backstage. So it, it's just gotten to the point where it's not consistent. Stop. How can you say yeah. I was fearing for my nope. life, but then two months later, this is the safest locker room. So the safest in locker the room. You I mean, don't, just don't. Don't make a comment like that, right? That's all. Nobody's making no, that, that's, that's all you to, to make those comments. Nobody's forcing you to come out and take shots at Vince McMahon for a heck. Oh, look, I you want to have this, a whole if a podcast taking shots on sure. Vince McMahon? We could do that, right? There are a lot of things he's done wrong. Yeah. My whole thing is just don't, you know, don't take shots and point fingers unless you are freaking perfect, right? He who threw the first stone, right. you know, just. Make sure, and and I've learned this as I've gotten older, right? I think we all do. Some actually go the other way, but I've gotten a lot more of like, hey, I'm just not going to chime in on this right now because it's not going to. Oh, I've you been know? that since day one. I right? just, you're, just, not, you're, look, you're not going to convince me otherwise, and I'm not going to convince you otherwise. No, so no. just don't bring it up. And that, right? you're and you're right, and that's there's just certain things now where it didn't do him any good because now he was pointing fingers and. Now he's got Ric Flair on his roster and maybe something happened with Chris Jericho that he knew or didn't know. It just don't point fingers at other people. It'll only make things worse when people will point them right back at you. And it was a Wednesday without Chris Jericho. We'll see what will happen moving. Well, he forward. was left off that show for a reason. You know that, right? Absolutely. I mean, we both know that. Sure. Eddie Kingston beat John Moxley to win. And as we expected, these guys, Tell a good story together The biggest problem I have Coming out of the show Okay, he wins this big tournament Beats all these top guys What are we going to do moving forward for Kingston Whoever wins this tournament The way that it was important It had a lot of TV time This should be your number one contender This should be someone who goes for the top championship But nope, instead They've, basically, they've just made it A championship In, okay They're going to give him a title Let's see who he's going to defend it against, right? It makes the most sense. He just won these three titles. They're calling it the Triple Crown, the inaugural Triple Crown, the Ring of Honor World title, the New Japan Strong Openweight, and the Continental Championship. So three different titles, Triple Crown. Makes sense. You had Swerve and Brian Danielson and Moxley and Daniel Garcia. All these guys, Jay White, in the tournament, they were all going for these titles. So obviously when you try to figure out who the number one contender is for this title, those are going to be the guys that are wrestling for it, right? All the guys that Kingston just beat top of the card guys, those are going to be the guys that Kingston's going to have to defend this title against, right? Not a four way with Vikingo, Trent Beretta, (laughs) Brian Cage, and Brian Keith. Those were the four that were going to battle for a shot at Eddie Kingston's new 
Triple Crown Championship that they spent hours on TV over the last month building up this massive tournament. It's going to be huge. He wins it for all of our gripes about who it was. It wasn't that I had a problem with it being Eddie. I just felt that they could have told the Eddie and Moxley story without needing the tournament. They could have used the tournament for Swerve or someone like that. Now, I am 100% glad that they did not have Swerve win this tournament because it feels like having this belt is a demotion. This is not a moving up the card. (laughs) Well, okay, so... Several parts, and I don't want to talk the rest of the time about this, but I've been waiting for this to get brought up. Two months, I think, we've built this tournament up, and we've watched it, and we've complained, and we said this is good, and it shouldn't have been done this way for two months. And then this guy wins the t- wins, keeps the two titles because he put those two titles up for this tournament. So he keeps those two and wins the new Continental Classic Championship, whatever it's called. <clears throat> And so just out of the blue, you name a number one contender, which is Swerve, who wasn't even in the finals of the tournament. You're going to put him and Garcia, right, in a number one contenders match in the main event on Dynamite for the AEW world title. But now you've got four guys, and if you're just an average run-of-the-mill professional wrestling fan, you probably don't have... You maybe know Brian Cage for seeing him maybe on something else. What did um, these guys do to deserve this title shot? What did they hey, do? Brian what? Keith is one of the top Texas indie talents. This is like Tell me his that. third match in AEW. Tell me that. Tell me, hey, no this guy, knows. give me a little video, one minute, where you tell me why these four guys were picked at least. Hey, we wanted to take these guys because they are not given the type of opportunity that we think as much. Brian Keith is a great indie guy. Brian Cage is someone who, whatever, give me an explanation as to why. There was absolutely... Gino, go ahead. do you believe that Trent is going to beat Eddie Kingston after that match? No. No, No, I just don't. What was the rhyme or reason these guys were in this match? Tell me that you did a random draw in the back. Tell me that you, you <laughs> random you it was the old uh the old numbers at the Royal Rumble. They had the spinner where you come up and you take your ball oh, yeah. out. You oh, know, the you, old bingo spinner. You take the exactly. Yeah. You got your you pick your ball out. Oh, and then DiBiase's trying to pay other people off to trade it with yeah. them. <laughs> I, this this bothered me so much because it felt like it they had a there was a, a very good way that you and I could have been wrong about. Our opinion of uh, I don't know if this is going to be good Having Kingston win this And if you've got these three titles Whoever wins this It should be like the Royal Rumble Or like the the G1 in New Japan You win that You get a, a world title match at a big show What the hell does this extra belt do For anybody? Nothing And they've already defined it down Below Orange Cassidy's belt Below Christian's belt Below the world championship yeah. So it's the fourth or fifth belt on the most important belt now on the card. I in one night well, we just talked about one that's not very important on the women's side. In one night, you don't need another one. They undid a lot of the good work that they did in this tournament. A lot of it, almost everything they put on TV in the matches was good. Whether or not it would have been the way I did it. 
that's different. This now just shows everything they did in that tournament. They defined way, way, way down. This was such a bummer. Uh, just one or two things more to hit from Dynamite that um, I guess the main event, Samoa Joe beats MJF. And then they have Samoa Joe open the show. We find out at the pay-per-view who the devil is and the devil's group. It seems like they initially wanted it to be Adam Cole. Then Adam Cole got hurt and they had to change things. And I think when they did that, I would have I would have called an audible and I would have made it somebody else if it was me, yeah. Chad, because this doesn't make sense to me again. Adam Cole with Roderick Strong, Matt Taven, and Bennett, I'm okay with them being the, the group that wanted to screw over MJF. Adam Cole was playing games with him, playing mind games, or they were really friends. And then afterwards, he snapped. He went and got his other buddies. They're all a group to screw over MJF. Totally fine with that. Adam Cole wants to get the title from him. That would make sense. But because Adam Cole is hurt still, they can't they can't get the the big match. What's supposed to be Adam Cole versus MJF. So there's the, the point of this, I don't get. They've already tried to insert Wardlow into this, and it it doesn't make any sense. Why would Wardlow need to go through a faction with a faction and hide under a mask? He's beat MJF clean in the ring. One, two, three. He sent him packing. Why would he be scared and doing all these things to get another shot? Wardlow was calling MJF out right when he came back. He had his his MJF written on his tape. I don't understand why Wardlow would do this. It is the, almost the exact same storyline they do. They're doing with Christian with Luchasaurus, where. You know at some point he's going to snap. (laughs) So now Wardlow is going to win the title, and he's just going to hand it over to Adam Cole. Okay, we already saw Wardlow make a face in the back. Wardlow's not even agreeing to this. This feels like I never – Wardlow didn't make any sense being a part of this group. He didn't. He's been calling MJF out on his own. He's a big dude. He has no reason to be sneaky about this. He could have walked out there and just taken him out and said, I want a match with you. Adam Cole being the guy in charge, that's a little different. Adam Cole was his friend. He wanted to trick him. He wanted to screw him over, and I I can't get behind that. I I can't get behind Wardlow being inserted with Adam Cole and the other guys. It's like, come on, you can't. I I know the WWE's done this with the Bullet Club, and they called it the club, and I kind of rolled my eyes then too. It's the undisputed. They got to use the same word. You know? Yeah. Um, So... Here's what I I think Adam Cole will always deliver Promos like this well It's a good delivery He's a good actor man He comes out there He cuts great promos I just don't think the material He was cutting it with Was as good as it could have been That's where I get frustrated This is between the Continental Classic And this storyline How many hours have we sat through In the last couple months where Adam Cole's doing the stupid gimmick at the house with Roderick and the guys. Like, he didn't even explain that more and say, I was lying to you all along, MJF. We were laughing at you. I was. There's so much more that they didn't explain or they could have made Adam Cole seem like more of a bad guy. And every time I saw Wardlow's face in the background, it took me right out of it. If Wardlow wasn't standing in the ring with them, I would have had much less of a problem with it. That makes no sense to me. 
Uh, so much and so little time with this. Um, and they just helped Samoa Joe win the title. Um, and then they said, we're coming after you, Samoa Joe. If you still have it when when Warlow gets it, man, Warlow's going to win it and hand it to me. Um, then he said something like, Warlow's going to have to climb the ranks to yes. get that. Well, I, I just... I. So Wardlow okay. can't get a match, but these four randos just get a, did a continental title match out of nowhere. Four, four <laughs> random guys that we've never seen. Wardlow can't get Somebody's- his match. Also, isn't there a Wardlow-Samoa Joe thing where Samoa Joe cut his hair? Is that where we're supposed yeah. to just forget about that? If if there's – I I don't somebody think said, Somebody said, and I sent it to you, somebody said, man, that yeah, that sucks that WWE was going to make Adam Cole a manager. He's I mean, a manager. He's, he's, he's a manager. He's a manager. He's in the That's ring. What we're doing? He can't even wrestle. Oh, he's got promos man. right now. And again, it, we knew it, we were going to be let down. We knew we was, gonna, you know, we knew it, it just it was it was it was tough. It was tough to just decipher through and just uh, we were just let down again. You know, it, it was, and, and you're right. When you see when you see when you see the henchman, all you do is look at Wardlow. That's who your attention turns to. And we're going to get this drawn out deal and Warlow's going to end up turning. And, I, you know, again, I was ugly. Somebody sent it to me and I sent it to you. It's like oh, Warlow's Mason Ryan of Nexus. It's like, he is. come on, man. I know. I, I just, it, it was a bummer. It, it was just not great. It really wasn't. Now, what AEW has done, especially early on in their company, and they haven't done this as much recently. But early on, since Tony is always online and he is a fan himself and he is listening to the internet wrestling community, they would do a good job of uh, when they would mess something up, they would fix it the next week or at least try to. They would hear that people were complaining about it. I just don't think you can do that here. This was something that they ran with for so long and they built. Could this get better? Okay. Now we're just in a weird space where – They've got the Bullet Club come out with Jay White, and so now they're baby faces. I guess we're supposed to cheer for yeah. these guys now. Um, I, I guess this has been happening a little bit on Collision. The Acclaim comes out, so they have things set up for Cole and Wardlow and Bennett and Strong. But again, do those guys feel like a main event group or main event wrestlers if Cole isn't a part of it? Cole's a main eventer. You put Cole in a match sure. against anyone, anywhere, on any program, and it's fine. Like, he can be that guy in the big match. Do you feel that way about Taven and Bennett and Strong and Wardlow right now? I don't. They don't feel like no. main eventers. I mean, do I care as much about those four guys in a match with Jay White and and the Guns and Juice? I'm okay. I get it'll be okay. <laughs> But Adam Cole's not even in the match, and th- this is going to be weird. They're going to have to do some work here, and this group is going to be elevated to the top because the one thing we saw on this show, Samoa Joe cuts a promo to open it. I did another another mixed feelings. I like the wrestlers cutting the promo right after they win the match because they're all sweaty and they got the uh, the yeah, emotion, yeah. and it you feel this energy that you know with the the adrenaline. But then we don't have Samoa Joe in the arena either. So Joe's not there and JF's not there. 
Omega's not there. Danielson's not there. Uh, Jericho, all of them weren't on the show. And you you feel it. You can notice it when they all weren't there. Yeah, and Moxley was what? New Japan? He, he's Moxley he worked, too. Uh, yeah, he had yeah, a Moxley match with was in, is in New Japan. Osprey and Finley, I think. And uh, you know who yeah, showed up? Was, After yeah, that, Dirty. Dirty Dolph Ziggler. Nick Dirty Nemeth. Dolph. Hey, man, he was throwing hands. Who would have ever thought? And he was, was jumping in, and Dolph Ziggler was all over the uh, New Japan pay-per-view last night. So shout out to Dirty Dolph. He's going to have a, a fun run over there. He'll, he'll do some good stuff in ring. Uh, I've been a little negative with a lot of things. Let me give some positive. Right off the bat, Mariah May is one of the best women in their division. Instantly. If you've never seen her wrestle before, she did some really good work. I believe it was in stardom. And she can go in the ring for sure. So right off the bat, she's elevated towards the top of the division. They're building something up with her and with Tony. She gets a win over Queen Aminata. But after the match, Deanna Perrazzo comes out. Perfect spot for her to debut because she's from New Jersey and Mariah May was ripping New Jersey. We got a New Jersey chant on a wrestling show. <laughs> I can't remember. When, I don't, do you even know when you've heard a New no. Jersey chant? I'm not, I no. can't remember hearing one. And Deanna, <laughs> if Deanna, uh, she was in NXT a few years ago and there's always been rumors about WWE with her. Was she going to go to AEW? She ends up going to Impact. In a couple years, that was one of the best decisions that I can remember a wrestler make for their career. She has improved so much, become a big star, had great interactions and matches with Mickey James and Jordan Grace, and an impact women's division that is so much better, so much deeper, and the the company cares more about it than AEW does. And if she was in WWE... She may not have gotten – she probably would have gone, had to go through NXT again. Things were changing. She may not have been in the same situation. I just look at her career now, and I think she's played it the last few years perfectly because she feels like a bigger star now. And I think right away you have to make sure this is not a Ruby or a Soraya yeah, or how these happen. She can't come in here, have a little bit of a spark for three weeks, and then that's it. If you don't want her to win the women's title right away, don't put her in a spot to lose, but let's see her on TV consistently. And I think this was a good signing for Tony Khan. I think she feels like she's a good fit. And I don't know what they're going to do with Sasha, with Mercedes Monet, if they get her or not. But Gianna Perrazzo is good with or without Mercedes Monet. I would, I would have loved her for WWE right now. She's fantastic in ring. She has a presence that you have to just figure out. You don't just walk in and you have this presence. She she owns the ring. She's like a ring general. Yeah, you know, everyone was keyed up, uh, especially after a couple of reports were, were coming out. And who knows if, if those were any close to being true, that uh, Mercedes was... Uh, going to make her debut on Wednesday night in Dynamite, and, and she didn't. Um, I was, I, I knew Deanna's impact uh, contract was up. It looked uh, as if she was uh, definitely going to go in another direction. Um, she had talks with you name it. Um, so she had her landing point, and she landed in AEW. 
and this is I haven't said this a lot for AEW. I've been there. I've I've been their biggest critic um, from from day one, and I haven't said this a lot because people make a mockery of it every time someone you know AEW signs someone. You know, there comes the game changer memes out again. Um, this was, is a bigger signing, um, a better signing than Ruby, um, Soraya. It just is um, because Diana brings. I agree with you. A world champion caliber status pedigree with her. She just does. She hasn't been involved with drama. Um, just a hard nose can work in ring, has the look, can cut the promos, uh, comes up big on the pay-per-views for impact. She was, she was stealing those pay-per-views with the match of the night. And this is like a legitimate signing, um, for AEW. But all we ask is, is don't do her where we're having to change the channel three or four times trying to find her. She no. needs to be on. She needs to be on TV on Wednesday nights. She like does. any good talent, it they can only do so much. You need to treat them like a good talent. You need to present them. You need to show us week in week out. I don't want her on Collision right now. I don't want to forget no. about her, and I, I don't want her on Collision every week. And then in a month, we see her have a match with Tony Storm on Dynamite. It's like, what? Where was the build for this? We know how it's going to end. Yeah, we, and you know how it's going to end. We can't have that. So, Deanna, good, good signing here. I think she could really, really uh, make some noise. And then another positive. Um, it was 12 minutes. Takeshita and Darby Allen had a brutal match. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was really match. good. It was actually, I actually like yeah. this better than even the main event with Swerve and Daniel Garcia. It was 12 minutes. I watch these matches, though, and I can't, I, I don't want to think this way, but I can't watch a Darby match and not think, how long is this guy going to be out there? He just, <laughs> he is early Jeff Hardy and even more reckless, does not care. Yes. And it's, it's admirable because he's doing it for us. He wants to make you remember that spot, but man, just cut a few of these really brutal spots out and it'll, it'll, you know, add a few extra years on the end of your career and swerve gets the win over Daniel Garcia in the main event. But again, here's a, here's a concern. Love what they're doing with Swerve. Everything's great. Then they have Adam Page come out and interrupt Swerve after these two guys had a fantastic match in a really bad, dark match. It was a blood feud. How do you, after a lights out match, after a death match, what do you do next? Why would they even try to come back to this right now? You come back to this six months from now after Swerve has won the title. I don't understand right. why they would tease this right now because you can't have Hangman lose again to Swerve, but you can't have Swerve no. lose right now in any way, shape, or form. You're building him up as your guy. I think within within three months, you want Swerve to be your champ. I don't think you want Samoa Joe, or I don't think Samoa Joe needs to be a long-term champion. I can't imagine that's the plan for him. It was probably, hey, we love Joe. He's done a really good job for us. Joe's never really gotten a big run on top of a major company that had TV like this. You know, we saw him in Ring of Honor and Impact have the world title. He did in NXT a little bit, but he didn't really get the, the chance in WWE. He was hurt, and he had never really been the top, top guy 
for AEW or WWE. So, hey, let's let Joe have this for a month or two. Maybe MJF is really hurt, but I I don't know. It doesn't – what do you do in the next Hangman versus Swerve match? Coop, how, do you, how does that finish if with these two guys? Wouldn't that bury Hangman Page? For sure, uh, unless they book Hangman to go over, and then that completely, completely buries Swerve run. Uh, you you can't just say oh he's high and a loss here or there is not going to matter. Well, it does because this is this isn't and... a sport where we don't know what's going to happen and then you got to roll with it. You book this shit, you know, like yeah. don't don't yeah. book those guys. That's exactly what I was saying. Don't book those two guys together. Page, even though he lost to Swerve, I think his character's been a lot better. He's been more fired up, more fiery. He's felt like a better, more interesting character. And now you throw him back in there against Swerve, and one of these two guys has to lose if MJF's well, do, not do around. We, do we need to see? And do we? And what? And we asked after that match, that Texas Death match, where do they go from here? We we saw where Swerve went, right? Can went they the tournament loss, but became the number one contender with the match? But where does? If you follow this story, this rivalry back up with a match. It, you can't do another Texas death match. What are you going to put them in a cage? Can you get away do? with it? Putting these guys in a match with Samoa Joe, the three, like a three way for the title, but page hasn't been winning. Yeah, I just don't know. I don't I like that. I don't like Page's spot in there. No, Me I don't either. like that. I Cause don't like he would it. feel like the guy to take the pin. Anything you do right yeah, now. Because feels he, made, like, he, he did. Cause he named three people. He said swerve. And then of course, if Samoa Joe still has the title or whatever it was, I just I, I don't get it. I didn't like it. Um, it's not the right again, time. You were talking. You go back to no, it later. You were talking about Samoa Joe too. Look, he needed help to beat an injured MJF, who's technically not even on the roster anymore. So I, I don't I don't see this a long title reign for Samoa Joe. I know they keep the title. Um, there hasn't been what? How many champions? Uh, world champions. You had Kenny Omega was one. Jericho was your Jericho, first. Kenny Omega. Page. Mox, Page, Punk, Mox, then Punk, then MJF, and now Samoa Joe. So, I, I, if this is a long run, I would be shocked. Me too. I just uh, this is a company that that likes to take chances. I wouldn't take any more chances with Hangman Page and Swerve right now. I, you you can't follow that matchup with anything else right now because a loss to either one of them wouldn't make sense. And if you put them in a triple threat, you know. Page just gets beaten matches and just he's placed in there. Okay. And you know, he's not going to win a title. You know, he's just not. Koopa loop. We are winding down the college football season. We've got the Washington Huskies and Michael Penix. Who's had a fantastic year. Guy's a star. He's an absolute stud. And I'm, I'm glad that there was a PAC 12 team on the final year in the, in a year where the PAC 12 was the best conference in football this year. Sure. They were awesome. I agree. I mean, I agree. top to bottom, yeah. like, their sixth and seventh best teams were very, very good. And they get to go play those cheating Michigan Wolverines who have, uh, who have made it on it. <laughs> I just like to give the, the Michigan fans crap. What, what you notice with Michigan too. And you notice with the really good teams in college football, the, the line, the offensive line, and the defensive line, right? They've got so many big boys up there that help get them a push to where they don't need to have the most prolific wide receivers or a quarterback that can, Dot you way down the field They just need to be efficient 
not make a whole lot of mistakes. Their defense is going to be good. Do you have an opinion on the college football national championship game? Man, it was uh, it's in Houston, which is right down the road. Um, it, it'll be a fun Monday night. Um, kudos to uh, you, you have two undefeated teams playing for the national championship. So that kind of seems right in college football. Um, man, I tell you. I've won against Washington several times this season, um, the two games when they played Oregon. Um, I did not go against them this past Monday night. I I thought they were the better team for Texas. I thought Texas was a fraud. Now they had a chance there at the end, but I'm inundated around here with Texas X's and Texas Longhorn fans, and they know this game shouldn't have been uh, a one-drive you know, there at the end. I mean, Washington almost lost that game with an injury to their own player who couldn't get off the that field. Stopped the clock. That was a bad one. It stopped the clock. But you know what? Texas, look, they're a blue-collar team. They they fought hard. But Michael Penix has, who I, look, and, and I got pummeled by saying this, and I did it for a reason, but I believe it too. That's your Heisman winner. 100%. Um, he should have won This guy threw 100%. So many dimes. Oh, on Monday night, and this was probably a lot of time, first time for a lot of football fans, especially in the South, to see this guy on a national stage because, you know, just this area doesn't watch a lot of Pac-12 football. They play late know, night games were, too. There are a lot of late night games with games that they start do. at 10 Eastern or 10:30 Eastern. SEC Big 12 games are at noon. Then we know the SEC game of the week was at 2:30. Then at 6 o'clock, we got an SEC or Big 12 game. So you saw this guy for the first time, and this guy, he's had several, you know, season-ending injuries. And to see what he's done this year um, is just incredible. I I have and to what, go And what frustrated Washington me, here. just from, from a fan of football, and J, uh, Daniels had better stats this year from uh, LSU quarterback. He had better stats. His numbers were ridiculous. He didn't have any big wins or big like big moments at all. No, none. They were no. They were big stats, big moments for an okay team that was pretty good. But the the leader of the that, undefeated that shouldn't have won their bowl game. That should not no. have beaten Wisconsin in their bowl game. By the way, no. And the the leader of the best game. team that hasn't lost in twenty games or so, leading and dating back to last year. He tailed off with a few of his stats because he was a little banged up for about four weeks sure. or so. Penix was. Yeah. Man, he he was really impressive. And and I'm with you. I think the number right now I'm looking at is around four. I would play this number at anything Washington three or over. I think this is a close game. Sure, sure. If you got the Washington yeah. plus the three and a half, plus the four, or, and even a little sprinkle on the money line, because I do think that Texas is kind of built like Michigan. They're built on the on the in the trenches. Sark did a really good job recruiting a lot of big dudes, and that's why they were able to beat Alabama early in the year because they have that offensive line and defensive line depth. So I think there's a lot of similarities between these two teams, and I feel like Washington might have just dealt with some of the same things they're going to have to deal with with Michigan. I think they keep this game close enough, and I sprinkle a little on the money line myself. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, I got it at four. There's a couple of spots you can actually get it at four and a half, yeah, which is crazy yeah. to me. Um, I, I know a lot of people, you know, Michigan, the Big Ten, both teams, you know, uh, Washington going to be in the Big Ten next year. 
I, I just think uh, Washington, unless Michigan can get to Penix early and often, this guy just throws dimes. Uh, and you're going to tell me if you're not an NFL team, you would pick Jaden Daniels over Michael Penix in the draft? No, no, absolutely not. Th- this guy just, he lit up Texas, big throw after big throw. Um, I, I saw a stat where Washington uh, with their head coach, 5-0 and against the spread um, as an underdog, uh, 4-0 and against the spread with a team that's got a 900 or more winning percentage. I, I just think it's it's the play here is Washington and the points and sprinkle some on the money line because if you get that close, um, if if Michael Penix has a chance to win or tie the game at the end, I'm betting Michael Penix. Me too. That's just where I'm going with. He you has know, been on Alabama a run. as bad as Alabama's offense was and Milrose was. If that snap hits Milrose in the chest or in the they hands, probably win and they run the RPO, we're going to another overtime. You know, we're going to another, they probably win the game, but it didn't. But uh, I, I just like, I'm an offensive guy. I've been that way. And uh, Washington has just keep, they keep doing it over and over again uh, when they're the underdog and they're the underdog situation. Again, I think they have the biggest chip on their shoulder. And I just don't, I've never liked Michigan. I like their helmets. That's the yeah, only thing. I, and I don't like their coach. And I don't, I, I mean, just I don't, don't think like McCarthy. Him. I've never been a McCarthy guy either. I think he's going to make mistakes when they need him to make a big play. He's fine to be your, you know, your orchestrator back there when you don't have to ask him to do a whole lot. or He can make a few moves with his legs, but I'm not sold on him being a pro quarterback at all. And I completely agree with you. I've, I've not been that high on this Michigan team. I think Washington's a lot more battle tested. Let's go Washington. And then, uh, Next week, Coop, we'll have some uh, NFL playoffs to discuss as we finish up. This is week fun, 18. Man. So thank you so much for hanging out with us again, talking everything in the world of wrestling. We will have more to discuss next week. We'll see who's going to go face Roman Reigns at the Rumble. We'll find out more about The Rock. Is he going to show up in Australia? What was Triple H's announcement? We'll know more next week. Make sure to tune in to This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper right here on That's What G Said Podcast. Give Chad a follow at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. Cooper Loop, my man. Thank you so much, buddy. You have a fantastic weekend. Have a good weekend, Gino. Make sure to tune back in next week, everyone. We'll keep you updated on everything going on in the world of wrestling. Have a good one. And that's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said. A big thank you to Cooper Loop for helping us out with this week in wrestling. A big thank you to Barry Spears for helping us out again this week with some horse racing analysis. Eric has been here with us again all year long talking NFL. And thanks to Cindy Carava, Full Service Realtor, for sponsoring this episode of That's What G Said. Good luck this weekend. Hope everyone has an awesome 2024. We'll be back again real soon with plenty more on That's What G Said.